Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the program. Uh, the Jeff Gerstman Show is back. And I'm your host uh, this time around for this week's installment. My name is Jeff Gerstman. Uh, you can find out more uh, at patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman. Get an ad-free version of the program. Some bonus shows, uh, such as Game Boys to Men, the Jeff Gerstman Hall of Fame. Uh, access to the Discord Jump on and jump steady, rude boy and Nate the Mac. What? Wait, what are we talking about here? Bit players in the early days of the Insane Clown Posse. Yes, that's the, what the podcast is here uh, for. <laughs> um, and also, yes, an interview with Ed Boone uh, that's uh, up on this podcast feed, uh, the audio feed. If you have not heard that yet, is uh, that's on Patreon. That's also on everything, um, except for there's no video, so it's not on YouTube. That's the smoothest way to promote it. Yeah, yeah, it's on everything but YouTube. It's where any other website you go to, you're going to find all that stuff. Um, yeah, wow. So it's been a wild week <laughs> um, since we last spoke in this uh, context. And... um. I have been off to see uh, video games. I have played video games in person with these with these hands. These hands have touched controllers. A lot of hand sanitizer was used before and after because everyone was uh, doing what they can to be clean. You know, still, uh, still, still being clean at all this stuff, and uh, that was nice. You know, it was, um. And of course, all the live streams, which you've seen many of those um, with various companies peddling their wares. Zero days. Um, I feel like it. Uh, I feel like it was a good use of time. I feel like it was a great use of of, of my time, and also um, the the event itself. I feel like it really did. Um. Most of what you need a, a block of time, like, you know, when, when people talk about like, oh, E3 and it's not going to be the same. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different sort of thing. But in some ways, I think the process of going out there and, and covering the show and doing stuff is like, um, um, great. It was better, better in a lot of ways than, than E3 often is. Um, you know, like everyone was much lower stress. Everyone was, was very much like, yeah, man, just, yeah, come we got games. Come by and see them. Yeah, just uh, what three o'clock? Cool, man. Yeah, two. One. Yeah, right on. Um, and so everyone was was very it was a much more relaxed environment for seeing games. Whereas E three is such a big, loud mess of a thing that you know everyone is just like ah. ah. Um, you know, it's not to say you know like like people had appointments booked pretty tight, so it wasn't like you could just like go hang out for three hours straight and play Mortal Kombat that, you know, they have other groups of people shuffling in to the, use the stations and, and so on and so forth. But, um, but yeah, uh, you know, every, everything was like just low key enough to keep it from being, uh, horrendously stressful. And, uh, I thought that was great. Um, yeah, that, that was, that was really, really very nice. And, uh, I felt that there was like a good, variety of games being shown both big and small a number of the games from the day of the devs showcase were there um 
in some capacity. And so, you know, you had a, a number, like a, a good variety of, of indie games, as well as, you, you know, like a, a games like Alan Wake and, and Mortal Kombat, which, you know, will, and, you know, Final Fantasy was there in some capacity. Uh, even though it's it's close to I, th- I think people have I think there are reviewers that have copies of Final Fantasy right now if I'm not mistaken um but um a good wide variety of games big and small and uh and that was very nice to see so um so yeah I and and you know I I got to caught up you know a big part of um a big part of the value of going to something like an E3 in person is you get to have a variety of conversations with folks, uh, you know, in a relatively off the record or in a very like loose capacity. You know what I mean? Like you, you catch up with people, you, you hear updates on the unannounced thing they're working like, Oh yeah, still at it, still doing this thing. Or, you know, you, you hear little bits and pieces about, um, the industry. And how stuff's going and how people are feeling and, you know, like, oh, I, you know, what's it like over there? It's like, oh, it's a fucking shit show. You know, like some people are, are going through it, you know, for sure. Both on the media side and on the, <laughs> and on the, the video game side. Right. Uh, and so you, you get to kind of take the temperature, if you will, of, of some of those, um, different aspects of the, of the industry um and and that is actually truly valuable uh, as much as the uh seeing games and and going like okay I I think I know what this game plays like like being able to kind of catch up with the folks at, at various um whether it's you know first party and and you know hey how's it going over there well you know like like being able to just kind of like get a sense of where folks are at if they're truly like optimistic about where things are going if they're just like oh man this is this has been brutal you know, and sometimes things can turn on a dime, right? Or you'll talk to people at different parts of a big company and get different conversations, you know? Like you talk to, let's say, three or four different people that are somewhere at various points in the Embracer ecosystem. Uh, you may get people that are like, "This it's great, man. No, this, is, this is awesome. I, like right now, you get people that are a little more pragmatic about like, eh, it's right now. And then I, here we are today uh, with the Embracer news that we will get into a little bit later in the show um i'm we're gonna take our one ad break here up front so we can get back to it and 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 dive in real deep i've got a list of games here remnant 2 foam stars the but the internet is buzzing about foam stars um we'll talk a little bit about armored core which i did not see for myself we'll talk remnant remnant 2 alan wake 2 a little more mortal Kombat talk all that sort of stuff but let's uh Let's uh, let's go uh, to Adland here. We'll come back in a couple minutes and we'll get down and filthy in the world of video games. Everyone always talks about the number of hours of sleep you get a night, but sleep quality matters as well. If you're tossing and turning, getting too hot, too cold to sleep, that's not great sleep. So why not thermoregulate? With Miracle Maid's bed sheets, these sheets inspired by NASA use silver-infused fabrics and make temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. That's right. These thermoregulating sheets designed to keep you just right. Not too cold, but not too hot. 
you know, especially in summertime, it's getting too warm. You need some sheets that are going to keep you cool and also keep you clean. That silver infusion prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, which makes them stay cleaner longer and fresher, three times longer than other sheets. That gets the stink down to a minimum and saves you on laundry bills and all that sort of stuff. But hey, they're also luxuriously comfortable, right? I mean, it wouldn't matter. You know, it's like, hey, once you sleep surrounded by pieces of paper, you know, no, no, no. Luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bedsheets used by some five-star hotels. So stop sleeping on bacteria. It'll clog up your pores. It'll cause breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff to try Miracle-made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. Use that promo code Jeff at checkout, and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff and use the code Jeff to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Jeff to treat yourself. And thanks to Miracle Made for sponsoring the podcast. Okay, we're back. Uh, and I'm going to try this. I'm going to find someone sent me a case of this stuff and I am I'm finally getting around to blueberry grape hint it's energy water and um i don't know zero calorie other natural flavors plus caffeine but i don't see anything in here that says how much caffeine is in it which is usually an indicator that it does not have very much in it um so i'm gonna i'm gonna crack this open and try it out but uh yeah let's let's um Let's get into the games here. Um, it's like bad water. Congratulations to the pe- people at Hint. Ugh, bleh. This is okay, but it's not. It's. I mean, it's very light on. Fl- yeah, it's it's water, so it's not a very strong flavor. But also, it's like water that is a little weird. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Um. Uh, chat says it has 60 milligrams of caffeine. 60 milligrams might as well be zero milligrams. I suspected that might be the case, so I went and got a backup drink. Um, so, yeah. Um, let's see. You know, I've talked quite a bit about Mortal Kombat 1 at this point. We, there's a, you know, we ended up watching. I've, I ended up with like 40 minutes of footage of it. I put some of it up raw on YouTube. And then the second chunk of it, we ended up watching after the Xbox uh, show. And uh, and I am talking about it there. But I, I guess, like, I shouldn't be surprised that there is some kind of contingent of folks that are like, wait, are you telling me that... I can only play this as a versus game, as a as a as a two on two game, as people kind of not understanding the systems, just seeing the footage and, and like they're assuming it's a tag game. It is more like a Marvel versus Capcom one, I suppose, if we want to get technical about it. Is in that it is an assist game. It's still a one on one game. You're just kind of you're picking a secondary character that will give you additional moves uh, at your disposal. And so how that works with the cameo fighters is that the 
R1 button is basically your Cameo button. And when your Cameo meter is full, meaning it's, you know, you didn't call it out recently, you can um, hit that button to bring in the character. If you hit it just neutral, it'll do one move. You know, typically speaking, everyone, every every character is a little bit different. Uh, And then if you push forward in the button, it'll be something different. Back in the button might be something different. And then in some cases, down in the button with Jax, for example, did something different. And so that'll be... You know, because they're using classic uh, Mortal Kombat 1 characters in in the playable build they were showing, it was Kano, Sonya, and Jax. Well, I guess Jax is MK2. Human Arms Jax is in there. Um, And, uh, you know, so you kind of know the moves that those characters had, right? So Sonya's got her square wave uh, launching punch thing. She'll come out and throw a projectile. She'll run forward and try and do her legs throw. Um, and because of the, the properties of modern Mortal Kombat, where you've got, you know, juggles working different ways, you know, bounces, bounce juggles, I believe like the Sonya legs will bounce so that you as the main character can then combo afterwards. Um, and so it becomes, you know, using the cameo characters offensively seems like it is really a, a, an exercise in giving you a bunch of additional tools that you can use to either start or extend combos, you know? So in the situation of Kano's rolling ball, if you remember in mortal Kombat one, if you held down the block button, when you did it, Kano would just sit there and spin in the air until you let off the button. And then he would launch across the screen, which was fun. Uh, they've kept that in this game. And so if you keep holding the cameo button after calling him in for the ball, He'll just sit there and spin, and it's up to you when you let off. Of course, the the exposure there is, I think, if you or the cameo character gets hit, he gets knocked out of the animation, runs away, and that also burns your cameo meter for a little while. Um, But it basically means you can call the ball out there, and if you're confident, you can get out there, start a combo, and then at the right time, let off the button, the ball launches, hits for another hit, maybe pops them back up in the air a little bit along the way, lets you get a couple more things in. And so all of that kind of combines to make the game feel like um, expressive is, is the term that I think that, you know, a lot of folks have been been using uh, where you, you feel like you can kind of make shit up as you go. And as you get better at the kind of the there are more kind of canned combo starters and things in there that'll be like a, you know, like a triangle, triangle, square that, you know, th- those sorts of, of, of moves. Um, but it felt like a good combination of those sorts of things. And so they're putting an additional focus on air combos. And I think that the air combo stuff, again, that could go both ways. I think I, I really never liked the Capcom's versus games and the way that they did their launchers into air combos, because it felt like, Oh, I've got to jump up here and then I've got to memorize a string because that's how the air combos work. And then it, you know, and so this has a little bit of that. So there are cases like with Sub-Zero, if you launch them up and jump up after them, you can do a three hit air combo. I believe it's just triangle three times. Uh, and at the end of that, it'll knock them back down. You have a couple of options up there like that. And that's interesting because that's not normally, when we think about air combos in Mortal Kombat, um, it's usually juggles. It's usually like hop kicks and timing, like extreme timing based stuff of like, if I do, but this punch, 
and then take one step forward. I can hit, do a hop kick and then land in the slide, you know, whatever it ends up being. Um, there's crazy stuff like that over the years. You know, you go back and, and watch some of the uh, Ermac combos in Mortal Kombat, in Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. Uh, there's wild shit. Uh, and, and, you know, future games in the series would go on to have wild shit along those lines as well. Um, and so this feels like an interesting combination of those two concepts where you've got a little bit of the, you know, animations that kind of combo together in a, in a hit string, as well as the kind of more normal, uh, Mortal Kombat kind of juggle combos. And, um, they've, they have combo breakers in there that use the cameo and so the cameo meter and your own meter end up being used for a variety of things the thing the cameo can let you do if you're if you're in the right situation um you can even use a combo breaker to break out of a fatal blow which is their supers it's their it's the x-ray the you know the the supers in that game you can break out of even those if you have I think you might have to have three bars of meter and your cameo meter and the cameo can't be out already. So if your cameo is out there when the move starts, he's already out there. So you can't call them out there basically. So there's a lot of consideration about when the right time is to use that button and, and all of that stuff to call out your, your cameo fighter. Um, and I think that that stuff is really engaging. Um, and also, it opens up the game for just a ton of extremely exciting nostalgia. Um, the footage that they showed. But I, I need to see if that footage is, is out there. Because um, they showed us. They sat us down and walked us through the systems and, and showed us some some kind of, you know, it was a video. But it was like, here's some gameplay. And they're like, and now here's our closing video that had some fatalities in it. And which all the fatalities are in the but you know they showed striker in that footage as a cameo um and so i, I need to go through and look and see what they uh, make sure that all that footage did make it out there cuz i i don't have that footage um but a good interesting like kind of landscape for them to then fill with a bunch of fun references across the game and the impression i got from talking to folks there from nether realm is that, you know, like these nostalgic references will lead to situations where you could have, you, you know, and, and it sounds like you will be able to, in fact, have Sub-Zero as your main playable character and then Sub-Zero as your cameo. That's not to say that the playable characters will also be cameos. I don't think that's the case. But there have been like 20 Sub-Zeros over the course of this franchise. Not necessarily different people, but, you know, like in terms of how they play and whatever else. And so you'll have a situation where, you know, I assume a Mortal Kombat 1 Sub-Zero will be in there, but you will probably also, I suspect you will get an MK3 Sub-Zero with the the sky ice, the, the you know, the, the air ice that falls down, and maybe he'll do an ice clone, even though the playable Sub-Zero does an ice clone as well. So, you know, I, there's, because there have been iterations on some of those characters, um... I, I would I would expect that there will be situations where you'll get like multiple sub zeros. You know, you'll probably get like a human spoke. Well, human smoke doesn't really have that much in terms of like moves of his own. Well, no, I guess that's not true. I'm I'm thinking about MK3 human smoke, but you know when they 
later on they they gave him more of a move set so I, I i would assume that we get you know robot cyrax and maybe you also get a human cyrax or you know at least the the, the situation is such that that would be totally normal and absolutely in step with the game they're making is is my point you know to have multiple sub zeros to have like like those those sorts of things um and so I, I think that that's fun, you know, that that's a a good, fun, nostalgic way to kind of bring back some of these costumes and characters moves and also fatalities because the cameo characters do have finishers um, without having to like go, oh, well, we're only going to have three, you know, two fatal. I don't, I don't know the actual number of, of fatalities that, that the playable characters will have in the build I played. Each Each of them only had one. And then the cameo characters also had their their some of their classic fatalities, which I suppose a classic fatality for Jax would have been the the head clap. But instead, they did the make Jax grow giant and then step on the guy, which the the minute I saw that, you, you know, you just you're just like, oh, OK, yeah, these these people really know what they're doing. They're really they're really having a good time with this. <laughs> um and it's fantastic to see Jax just start growing gigantic. And then, st- oh man, it's so good. It's so good. Um, so yeah, I, I came away from that thing feeling more excited about it than I did going in. And I was already like, okay, yeah. But hearing them talk about it, you know, the, some of the different systems in place, you can do an upward block now that lets you uh, punish jumping attacks with like, I guess, full combos, I think is how that works. I need to see some other footage of that i've 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 done the move it's just you kind of tap up while you're blocking um but i have not actually seen it land and and do all of that stuff um question from the chat here is is john claude van damme johnny cage a character you can play as or just a cameo i don't know i would um you know that could be a skin for main playable Johnny Cage, or that could be a cameo. I, I honestly don't know. We'd have to go look and see what the the leak. Or I guess they that's not part of the leak. They did say that much. Um, they did confirm that much that that the Jean Claude Van Damme thing is happening. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I I think it looks really great. Um, you know they moved from Unreal Engine 4 to Unreal Engine 5. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's very sharp-looking game. Like, all the, you know, like, it was one of those things where you sit down and you're looking at even just, like, menu elements, and you're like, these are, this is really sharp text. This is really nice. Yeah. Um, but I think visually it looks really nice. Um, and um, did they never move to UE4? I thought they moved to UE4 and and a while ago, but yeah, was it just custom UE3? It's entirely possible. Um but yes, they they have moved to Unreal Engine 5 for this game. And so that's if you go listen to the an interview with Ed Boone, he talks about that and if you want to know why it took so long for this game to come around, it is not just a pandemic, it is also the part where they totally like overhauled all of the tech behind it and had to hook up all of their custom weird stuff to a new version of the unreal engine and and everything else so it sounds like that they there was just a whole lot uh going on uh behind the scenes to make that game happen and 
you know, it's, and now it's out in like four months or something. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how many characters they launch with both from a playable, but also from a, um, how many cameo characters are in the game, right? Because since, you know, they only do a few moves and, you know, it, it, theoretically maybe it's easier, but, um, but, uh, anyway, it is, uh, an interesting, yeah, they're, they're going in some interesting directions. In some ways it feels like a greatest hits kind of game, you know, cause they are rewinding time again. And, you know, so you do get the chance to retell a lot of those stories and revisit a lot of those origin stories and, and change them up in different ways. Uh, talking with Ed Boon, it sounds like that Outworld is not the, like, horrific wasteland that it is traditionally shown as. Which, if you remember some of the endings in some of the old arcade games, there were variants of Outworld where it's like if, if Katana wins or something, you know, it's like, oh, it's nice again. Um, we got rid of Shao Kahn and Katana's parents are back running. You know, there's like, there's versions of Outworld that are, um, not a nightmare, I guess. Um, and yeah, I hope that, yes, exactly. I think, I hope that by the time they're done with DLC and everything else with that game, that there's like 80 or a hundred cameo characters in it, right? Where they're just like throwing them in, you know, they'll have guest characters probably show up in that capacity if we trust the the Amazon Italy leaks or whatever. Uh, then there were some DC characters on that list already. Um, but also, you know, I, I hope that we get just insane deep cuts. And I talked to multiple folks there who said like, Hey, we think people are going to be really surprised by some of the fucking weird, <laughs> you know, like there's some, some deep cuts in this video game for sure. Um, and so I'm excited to see all of that, you know, because I, I do think that, you know, it seems like they're going to tap into that PS2 and Xbox era of Mortal Kombat that that doesn't get talked about. Um, or even like, you know, Mortal Kombat 4 or something. Does like Reiko show up in this, this Kai? Everyone's favorite Mortal Kombat character, Kai. Does he show up in this thing somewhere? Like, maybe. I don't know. Um, we'll see it's got uh, you know the, the only finishers I saw were fatalities cameo fatalities and brutalities um, so I don't know if there'll be more stuff along those lines I saw you know th I think the other reaction I saw online to the footage is um, people saying like how come the animations still look like shit and you know, I don't have time to go respond to YouTube comments on videos that aren't even my, you know, but the thing you almost want to say is like, because you don't understand this game and how it has always looked and felt and why it's specifically that way as a kind of like, it has always been that kind of chunky martial arts, like pop, 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 pop. Like it is always designed. It is always, always been designed to sort of look like that, you know? Um, and I, like, I think they're doing that stuff really well. I, but you know, yeah, I don't know. That's always one of the thing that's, that's like a core mortal combat thing, you know? And I don't think I've never thought that it looks bad. Uh, it's just, I just, so I, I just, 
I don't understand, but it's it's like a stylistic choice that they have made with that game all along. Um, and yeah, I I don't know, I don't know. Um, but it is what it is. We'll see. I and and I you know the the dumb thing is now is like because this game kind of sets up as like this sort of greatest hits kind of um you know systems and features over the last three games kind of like what's the best fighting system that they can pull together out of those kind of ideas is, is really kind of how it comes across and um so if that's this game is the next game a sequel to this or is this the is this kind of the bridge game that gets them to something more dramatically different next time is this kind of like the the cherry on top for the last three games, because, you know, again, we think about the, if we think about how they've done it, you know, you have one, two, three, and then four is kind of weird. Five is nothing like four. Uh, but then you got five, six, seven. And then you've got the DC game, which is a weird outlier as well, but also kind of bridges them to get back to where mortal Kombat nine ended up. And now we've had nine, 10 and 11. And now we've got this weird thing. Um, with cameo fighters and, and, you know, the, and, and they're talking about it in terms of just like, yeah, you know, some of the, again, like some of the greatest hits of the systems from the last three games was something that, that someone described the game to me as. And, um, and so, yeah, so you start to wonder like, is this the, that's weird. Like, is this the swan song for this style of fighting? And they're going to completely rebuild it again next time after injustice three or whatever. But I, I don't know. I've, it's weird. Um, or, or will there be a sequel to this and they'll keep going in this world? I, well, I, you know, I'm sure the story mode in this game will probably tell you. We'll see what the, what happens with the crypt and what, you know, what, what that evolves into. I suspect, you know, uh, in, in the interview, Ed does mention that there's a mode that they haven't announced yet. Um, my gut tells me that, that that's something that is like kind of the, the version of the crypt. I mean, the, the crypt stuff in the last game was crazy, but it wasn't like hugely story driven. You know, it's, it's the sort of thing that like, if you put more of a story into that mode, you would have something that starts to resemble the, the, some of the quest modes found in some of those PS2 and Xbox games, right? Shujinko and the amulet or the, 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 the Kami Dogu, you know, all of these hot mortal Kombat lore hits. <laughs> um, that I sometimes still, I cannot believe I, I was able to recite I, the, the word Kamidogu is still rattling around in my goddamn head. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, that it's, uh, that game seems really neat. I don't know, you know, like the, the footage kind of speaks for itself, but, um, but yeah, like I said, if you go watch that Xbox video that I published at the end of that thing, um, I watched some, some of the other MK footage that I had recorded. And so I, I talk a little bit more about the systems kind of in line with actual gameplay. So if you want to get another look at it there and I'll probably just take that footage and just post it raw, like the other footage, uh, because people seem to like that. Um, and I got it, so might as well. Uh, Alan Wake two was a short demo. It was the, it was played in front of us on a PlayStation five dev kit. It was the sort of situation that like, uh, for like a judging purposes sort of thing. They were like, you can touch this if you want to, uh, to, to prove that it is a playable video game, but it is not something that they were, um, that they had out 
for everyone to just like play a chunk of it. Um, you know, so it was like a relatively on rails demo, but also, you know, it, it was being played in, in front of us. Um, when they started describing Alan Wake two as, as remedies, survival horror game, I was a little like, yeah, hmm. Because I think when the words survival horror get said, it, it tends to evoke a very specific kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it's like I'm, I've never been a big fan of the genre. That said, um, I like Remedy's universe. Uh, I was not the, and also I, w- I was not the biggest fan of Alan Wake 1 or American Nightmare. And this doesn't seem like those either. This, this really, um, this feels like a very modern game. It feels like that, you know, again, it feels like a, a, a follow on in some ways from, you know, it's the next game from the studio that made control. So you see some, you know, how control would have those moments where the, the former director's shadow would be projected onto the environment and, you know, the kind of the, some of the weird effects that they would do in control. There's a bunch of that in, in this, um, and, you know, they're, I'd like to talk to them directly at some point about, you know, David Lynch and, um, you know, how they, uh, how they feel about the work of David Lynch and, and so on, because I think that, that becomes, that very quickly becomes the comparison point for a lot of, uh, their, um, that becomes, you know, very quickly becomes the comparison point for a lot of what they've been doing lately, especially control. Um, and you see more of that here, you know, you see weird, you know, you, you see real world characters, FBI agents sucked into weird ritualistic situations and, and, uh, and all of that. And, and, and it's literally a situation where Alan Wake is in, you know, is, is trapped in some other realm like he is in the Black Lodge <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, yeah, but so, you know, they, they talked a little bit about the game. It's going to be a game where you can swap between two characters. They have an FBI agent named Saga. That's not her full name. Um, who is rolling around with another FBI agent named uh, Alex Casey, I believe. And that one is played by Sam Lake. And uh Got a real Max Payne vibe off that guy. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, and and so you will start the game as Saga, and you will play for a while as that agent, and then um, eventually you will reach a point where you can choose to play as Alan Wake. And then from there... It seems like there will be situations where you could go play Alan Wake missions, and, and it's a linear experience, generally speaking. I don't, I don't get the impression that you're necessarily changing the story. It's more like, hey, these chapters will be available to you until you get both of these characters up to this chapter point, and then when this story point happens, maybe it'll branch open again. But like, basically, you could go play all the Alan Wake missions, finish them, and then go play all the Saga missions. Um, not necessarily up to the end of the game is at least the impression I got from the demo they gave where it'd be like, Oh, maybe when you, maybe when you get to the point where you can play as Alan Wake, maybe you can play chapters three, four and five, but then you can't play Alan Wake chapter six until you go back and play saga chapter three, four and five. That that's, that's again, I don't, I don't know that for sure, but that's, that's definitely the, the impression I got from 
from how they talked about it. And um, combat looks interesting because it's like, you know, you are putting the flashlight on guys to kind of burst them. Like they'll be protected by darkness and then you will you will kind of pop uh, the darkness off of them with your flashlight and then follow up with guns. And um, that stuff looked really neat. But also the crime solving the uh, the way that the FBI agent puts together the mystery, I think, is really cool. Uh, so they they you know in in the the bit they showed, you know you're, you're walking around in this swamp area, and uh, this other FBI agent's gone missing, and you find him, and then his body disappears. Like shit has already gotten weird by the time the uh, the, the demo that we saw had started. Like you know, so you know, a lot of ill shit had gone on. Um, and so the, the idea that you need to go pick up a heart and then thrust it through a hole in a wooden sign while reciting a specific line to, to perform this ritual, to open a pathway to something called the overlap that appears to be literally the overlap between the two worlds, the one that Saga is in and the one that Alan Wake is in. Uh, and so you, then you go into the overlap and fight this undead FBI agent and uh, as you're going through the overlap it is projecting different environments onto the swamp around you in like I said the same way that control would do with the um, with the the director showing up kind of projected on the, the different ways that that control would do things visually like that stuff's in there uh some good little references along the way. Uh, the thermoses are now your save points. And uh, in a, the first save point, they showed this little shack. Uh, there was a poster up that said, um, you know, Ati and the janitors, like a band. But it was just a logo. <laughs> you know, it was like kind of a, be a really bad poster to put up. Um, and I, I liked that. I like Ati. I just played some more control recently. So it's, it's you know, that dude is fresh on my mind. Um so the other thing in this game is because you're solving a mystery, sometimes you need to think about things to advance the story. You need to sit there and look at the, the, the evidence, the saga, the character needs to stare at the evidence for a while and come up with a solution. And so they've manifested that in basically the, the pause screen is called your, it's, it's your mind place. I keep wanting to say mind palace because I think that's a better name, but I believe it is, it is called the mind, you know? And so you can basically go to this sub screen at any point and it is the inside of a cabin. And in there you've got the manuscript, you're finding Alan Wake's manuscript pages along the way. So uh, sorry, the, the crux of the story is you are finding pages of a manuscript that are written about you saga. And so it's like, saga did this and you know and then you're finding this and then doing it and that's how you're learning how to do the ritual and and so on and, and so forth and so there you've got a wall where you've got photos and other clues that you found and you're kind of stringing those together and putting them on the wall to try to come up with these solutions you can also sit down and kind of ask yourself questions like where is this fbi agent's heart where would it possibly be and if you sit there and think about it and ask the right questions she will just go, it's in a fridge. It's in a fridge at the general store, uh, which seemed a little weird. But also, you know, the, the way that it's put together makes logical sense that she would come to that conclusion. Um, 
And that's a really neat concept in the context of this type of game, right? Uh, where you can kind of go away to your into inside your brain to think about the case and ruminate about the clues and, and, and everything else. Uh, I think that's a really neat uh, concept. The, the way they, they, the way they implement, it's not the first piece of fiction to have something like that, but you know, the, the way it's implemented in the game, I think is really slick. I guess that's overall that that's kind of the, the thing I would say about it is that it all just seems very slick at the end of it. After you beat the, the, the demo ends with you beating the, uh, the undead FBI agent, and then uh, you encounter Alan Wake, and you can't really understand him. He is he is somehow on the other side of this overlap, and so his his words aren't coming through. And but then he washes up on a beach, and you find him, and you're like, "Who the fuck?" And and Saga is like, "Who the fuck are you?" And I'm like, "My name's Alan. You've been missing for thirteen years." I'm like, <gasps> um, and. Um, it looks fucking rad. <laughs> uh, I'll say, you know, Hey, they're running on a PS five dev kit. They're not out for a while. Um, and so optimization wise, you know, when, when they were in combat, it was, it got a little framey, you know, but, uh, you know, the game's not done yet. Optimization happens late. So hopefully they'll get it there. But I think this looks like a fantastic game and I think it's something that um you know e- even as someone who did not connect with the original Alan Wake in really any way shape or form <laughs> um I think that it seems outstanding. What they showed looked great. I don't know if this is a demo they're going to put out for people to play ever or or I I I don't know that they will. I I don't think that they I I, I my my gut says that this was a build of the game that they brought and said, check this out. Um, and not something that they're going to polish up and, and, and put out. So they didn't show any playable Alan Wake in, in what they showed us, but they did say outright, yes, you will play a large chunk of the game as Alan Wake. Um, and so I, you know, I, I like their, I, I think control, um, Control feels like a much more action-oriented game than this does. Just for like a point of comparison, obviously, you know, the survival horror game is going to be a little different than the kind of third-person action uh, of Control. But I think that even though the source of the weirdness is coming from a very different place, or maybe not. I mean, I don't know. They like the shared universe, right? So, but it seems to be a very different type of weirdness in this game than the weirdness in control. Not entirely dissimilar, but um uh what am I going with this? I I think that there is a shared I think my love of control is um paying off. You know, like I like this this seems like a game I will like in the same way that I liked control, but for maybe different reasons because it is a different type of game. That's kind of how I came away from it. Uh, even as so, again, as someone who who did not like much about Alan Wake One, they are not making Alan Wake One again. That remasters out. If you want to play that, that's a different type of thing. Um, and obviously, you know, I, we'll see. Will, will they will they pay off any of the kind of Alan Wake references that were in Control? I I don't know. I don't know. They they do seem to want to put all of the universes uh, together in in some way. So. Um, 
so we'll see where where that ends up. And and yeah, I, I you know obviously the control yes the control DLC that very much is Alan Wake focused. Um, I assume has some more direct tie into this. Um, but we'll we'll see where it all ends up. I guess. Uh, I guess like I, the other thing I'd say is. Like, my interest in this game does not live or die by how well they pay off the references to the Control universe or, or the, the other parts of the Remedy universe. Um, I it, it just seems good on its own. Um, and, yeah, I, I, was, I was very impressed with it. Very, very impressed. Um, let's see. Gosh, what else? I played some Remnant 2. I did not play much Remnant 1, so some of the... Additional features were maybe lost on me. They they seemed very excited about the mini-map in the game, and I will say that the mini-map in the game seemed very good, uh, as well as the full map and being able to get a sense of where you're going. If you don't remember, Remnant 2 is sort of a Souls-like with guns. Um, it is kind of class-based, uh, and uh, you will play as one of those classes and go through these environments. You know, there are big crystals that serve as your bonfires. There are, uh, there is, you have a health recover, like a dragon heart, I believe it is, that serves as your Estus flask. And, you know, uh, they are, they are kind of making one of those. Uh, yes, uh, uh, Porn Marin says the first game's minimap sucked. I will say that the minimap in this game seems absolutely solid and serviceable. And you can call up a full map and rotate it around in 3D and all sorts of stuff and, and, and look at the environment and 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 do everything. They've added new biomes. The game will play out differently when you play it. Uh, there is a set adventure mode that I think will set the biomes in, in a specific order. But they will kind of piece together the biomes in different orders every time you play. So you will have a different flow, a different experience than other players may have. Um, so when you play co-op and go into the host's world, you will, you know, you'll be in their world doing... Uh, their sort of stuff, you know, um, the character I played at has a big old sword and a shotgun and then a, a pistol. And so up close, you can, you know, play the stamina game and, you know, like roll out of the way and, and do big sword stuff. Uh, but also you just have a gun, uh, but bullets are relatively limited. You, you will find bullets in drops from enemies sometimes, but there's also the aspect of like, Oh, well, if I go back here and rest at this big crystal, I will, my, my ammo will be refilled as well. Uh, classes were along pretty standard lines where you've got kind of a a pet control class, a, um, a healer, uh, you know, a big tanky kind of guy. There, there were four there were four classes in the build that I saw. You will be able to multi-class in this game, which sounded kind of cool. I'm not sure if that's a Remnant 1 thing, but, you know, you will get up to a certain level with your main class. And you'll be able to take on a secondary uh, and and be able to use some of their active abilities and and such uh, if you if you so equip yourself, which I thought was a uh, sounded pretty cool. Um, I thought it looked pretty nice. Are there corpse runs? Not that I saw. Not that I saw. Uh, I died a couple of times, and it just you know you kind of respawn and 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 keep moving. Didn't seem like I had to go back and recover a currency or or xp or, or anything like that but it's entirely possible that there was a meter draining and filling that i was not seeing while i was while i was playing the game um and yeah i, I guess i came away from it thinking like i should pl- i should play some remnant too when that thing comes out it looked very nice uh, they're running on pc um and 
yeah, it looked very sharp, felt very snappy on controller. Um, and yeah, I definitely came away from it going like, okay, yeah, I'll, I, I for sure want to see, want to see some more of this remnant one. I, I remember seeing before it came, I think I primarily played that game before it was out at events and such. Um, I don't know how much time I actually spent with the full version of the game. Um, but man, maybe I should go back and, and take a look at that first game. That might be fun. Uh, Square had Foam Stars. I played Foam Stars. Played me some Foam Stars. They build Foam Stars as a game from the studio in Square that is responsible for games like Dragon Quest and Nier, which is just a really funny lineage um, when you when you think about it. Uh, Foam Stars, uh, if you remember from the trailer, Foam Stars is the game that looked like a bootleg Splatoon. And um, Foam Stars is a bootleg Splatoon. Not feature for feature, but, you know, there are some similar concepts in there. Um, It's a foam party. We were playing four-on-four matches in a mode called Smash the Star. And basically what this was is when, you know, each team has a set number of lives or a set number of respawns. And when once, you've, once your team has respawned seven times, it takes the best performing player on the team and marks them as the star. And then the other team has to knock out the star player to win the match. And so you could have been, and the star player gets buffs and benefits to make them a little bit more survivable. So you can have, theoretically, you could have big swings where you're like, your star is out there exposed on the field, but you get the kills you need to expose the other team's star and then take it to them and kill them. Kills in this game, it's got a down but not out system. The animation doesn't necessarily look quite like that, but it, uh, but you are foaming people up. And once they're foamed up, they become big balls and they try to roll away You'll see an icon over their head. It'll be a different icon depending on if if they're on your team or the opposing team. And the idea is anytime you pull the left trigger, you don't go into the foam and and like like a Splatoon squid or a Splatoon kid, as the case may be. You you um, a surfboard materializes and you surf on top of the foam. And so once you've foamed up an enemy or or if you see one of your teammates foamed up. You want to surf into them, and if that's an enemy, it will knock them out, and and they you will get the kill. If it is someone on your team, it will knock the foam off of them, and they will get back into the action without it, without it being a respawn. Um, the foam is colored. There are different colors of foam. You surf better on your foam as opposed to the enemy foam. Stop me if you've heard this before. Um. But also, I guess the other part of it is that the characters and weapons and loadouts on a per-character basis are set. So when you pick a character that comes with a specific type of gun, it also comes with two abilities and an ult. And so you have to go like, okay, well, let's do, you know, the kind of assault rifle foam. uh, And then the character I was playing, what did they do? So... Had the the assault rifle foam, the range on it not great. Like it is Splatoon ranges of foam launching. Even with uh, there was there was a sniper that maybe could shoot further. Um, 
so yeah, it is character based, but at the same time, I don't I like the characters didn't really have a ton of personality to me in in the the heat of battle. Like you're, you're not really, I don't know. It, it like team comp didn't seem like a big factor here, but I didn't stare at every ability to get a sense of like, oh, well, this will synergize with this, and this will do this. But you know, um, so I, I I can't really speak to you know if, if how like how much team comp will matter, right? Um, the character I had the most success with uh, had two abilities. One would create a little, I forget, it was like a little guy would appear, a little little oddball little dude, and he would roll forward and create a big straight line of foam. So at the start, when you're trying to like get some of your foam out there, you could pop your little foam buddy, your foam would make, make a nice foam road for you to foam surf on and do your foam business there. Uh, the other one was sort of a stationary turret, like you would pull it out and it would just go pop, 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 dual shots for a little bit. And so you could use that to foam up enemies that were getting close uh, when they were getting a little, you know, if they were trying to foam you, you could foam them back and do some foam stuff to them. Then the ult on that character created a a big character came out and just did big foam. <laughs> just, just big foam. One of the other characters, literally, there was a character that had shark teeth that would turn into a shark. And that character seemed to be the one character that had an ability. And that's on a cooldown. It's not just the left trigger. But you could go into the foam like a like a Splatoon squid. You could go into the foam and then pop out of the foam and, and be like, yo, surprise and, and go ba 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 ba. The foam looks good. It stacks up. It piles up real nice. Uh, the game as as a as a colorblind person, uh, the game needs more defined, differentiated foam colors because I could not tell easily tell between the blue foam and the pink foam. Um, and we played like three rounds of that and that was it. Uh, the, the map was very plain, like it's stylish. Like it's supposed to be like this Las Vegas looking like you're invited to the VIP foam party. So let's get foam up, foamy foam out. But the map itself had like a, you know, a, a in the center of it, there was kind of a, a big, a fountain like structure or something like that. If I remember right, but you know, there, there's kind of like a, a couple of things in the, in the middle that you would have to like move around and a couple of other high points, but like generally it was just kind of a flat arena. And so you would just get out there. It was, it was like a flat kind of football shaped arena with a couple of small features in it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. So I, I I don't know, you know, if there's other maps that are, you know, going to be more, I assume, you know, you have other maps that are more elaborate or, or what have you. Um, good looking foam. You shoot a lot of it. You know, you, you run out of foam, you got to reload. You don't, you don't ever seemingly run out of reloads, but you will run out of liquid and have to reload your foam guns for more foam so you can keep shooting foam. It doesn't seem like it's doing, and maybe there'll be modes that are more territory control where, you know, the amount of foam that you shoot out there is going to determine if you win or lose like a Splatoon kind of territory battle sort of scenario. Um, But because you move better on your own foam, even without it counting up, you know, what percentage of the territory you took, you do want to keep shooting foam whenever you can to make sure that your foam is getting out there over the top of their foam because you want to surf on your foam, because you can't really surf on their foam. So that led to some situations where you'd see some guys foamed up, and you want to surf over there and foam them, 
And because I, you know, and this is probably where the colorblindness comes in. I found myself trying to surf on enemy foam all of the time. And, uh, and, and you don't move. You do not, you do not surf well on enemy foam. You got to be on your foam. You want to foam up with your foam and, and keep, keep the foam going out there. Shoot as much foam as you can. And, uh, with the character I was playing that had the little foam road thing, you could store up two charges of that. So you could have really big straight swaths of foam, uh, and so you could you could you could always be laying down hot foam all over the place, and you want to keep it foamed. They did not have much to say about the um release plans for this game. Insofar as is this game going to be free to play or not? Um, it did seem like a game that would have an item shop of some sort. The uh, build that they were showing us seemed like it might have had something like that in there, but they didn't really... They just sat us down and said, play it, um, and didn't really get into uh, how it will be available, like like that, that sort of stuff. It is coming to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Um... I feel like this game could be successful as a free-to-play game. I feel like it could be successful as like a some kind of low-cost thing. I don't get the impression. I I just like I I think Square will screw this up and charge too much money for it, and that'll be that, and no one will play it, and it will vanish and go away. I think that's a very real possibility. But I think if they put out foam stars and they're like, this is $15, this is $20, or hey, but get a, it's, you know, yeah, if, it, if it, this is a PlayStation Plus game at launch and then they charge $20 for it the following month or whatever, I think it could be, it could carve out something. Because remember, you know, especially when we think about worldwide, like you remember that Splatoon sold a fuckload of copies, uh, especially in Japan. Um, but also, um, Splatoon only exists on the Switch. So if you're saying, hey, we're going to put out a a game that you will recognize some of these systems from a, a little game called Splatoon, but it's coming out only on PlayStation platforms, um, th- there's a pathway there, I think, you know? If you wanna, if if you if you're not into the ink and squids, if you're more of a foam kind of guy or lady or person, uh, and you want to experience the madness of foam, uh, then I, I think Foam Stars does have some amount of potential. It, it was fun, you know. Like in, I don't, it was fun in the, the three rounds I played, you know. Like I, I I sprayed my foam all over the place. I made a big foamy mess. I uh, eventually settled on a character that I was doing well with, and I was the star in two of the three matches we played. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm kind of, all right, I'm, I'm kind of getting it done here. Um, so yeah, I don't know, Foam Stars. It's um, It seems absolutely acceptable. It seems like a fun thing. Whether that's long-term fun or short-term fun, I simply cannot tell you. <laughs> Um, but I can say that like for something that like, I think a lot of people rolled their eyes at the trailer and just went like foam stars. Look at this busted ass wish.com Splatoon ass video game. Um, there's certainly something to it. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's better than that. 
it's better than it showed in trailer form. Um, but will that foam have legs? Depends on how many modes they have at launch. Depends on the character variety, like the map variety. You know, so many sort of things that we we really don't know right now. Um, it looked like maybe they'd be like what twelve or sixteen characters in in the in the game. They had, I'm going to say, somewhere around eight or ten playable characters in the build, but there were some question marks on the character select screen. Um, so. We'll see. I don't know. That that feels like a very difficult needle to thread these days in terms of like, you know, you're making kind of a a, a fun, lighthearted, third-person competitive shooter. And how is that going to hit the market? And what else is out at the time that it ships? And, you know, like it could have a window where it catches on and becomes something of a success i'm sure I, I just but again you know there's so many factors some of which are totally external to the game itself um that it, it's kind of hard to say uh tommy dingo asked do the character designs allow for licensed characters a la Fortnite? you could um you you could i mean you know the, the characters like the pictures of the characters and stuff have like you know distinct looking designs it just that they they don't always come across in game i think because you're so busy f- foaming it out and foaming it up that you're you're not really looking at the character and you're looking at the back of the character all the time and so you don't see like oh this character has like a really colorful plague mask on is that what that is i don't and then this guy's got shark teeth but i can only really see that on the the little picture that they've printed out as a, like a fighting game move list and taped just underneath the TVs. So you can see what the abilities are. Um, so yeah, I don't know how expressive those characters actually are in game. Not, I, I did not really get a sense of them one way or the other while I was playing. Um, so, so yeah. Um, a couple of good platform well a couple of platformers one good one hmm disney illusion island they were showing that on switch i think that game looks really great i think the art style is really nice i i will always be something of a sucker like if you're gonna make a mickey mouse game and you are going to work the word illusion into the title of your game then i'm going to at least like go like uh-huh 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 until it comes out <laughs> um, and uh, and we'll kind of see how the final version is, but it, it's uh, I think feels pretty good. I really like the look of it um, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of it. Uh, Sonic Superstars is the other. Yeah. Do my kids like Mickey Mouse? Yeah, my daughter uh, likes Minnie Mouse. Um, and so, yeah, I, I could I could see her being potentially interested in this but maybe I, I think the gameplay might would be a little bit beyond her right now um but that could be something that maybe she is interested in at some point um sega showed sonic superstars i did not put my hands on this directly but i did watch it be played um you know this is a four player simultaneous Sonic the Hedgehog game and 
it's you know i think like conceptually when you look at it you go like oh is this like new super mario brothers but for sonic like that that seems to be the vibe coming out of that thing and they've got you know people that worked on the classic sonic games in that you know like working on it uh that's the 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 chair the positive way to look at our zest's involvement in the game the other way would be to say wow you got some folks that worked on balan wonderworld to work on a sonic game huh um so uh you know that i don't know there's aspects of the game that i thought looked a little slow or a little floaty you know in in a way that like a four-player co-op game where you have to keep all four characters on screen that that's how you're gonna kind of you know you you, the whole point of sonic the hedgehog is that he goes fast and if you're now waiting around because you're playing co-op and one person is always too slow and you're not really moving through the levels at the pace that you feel like you should, like it is fully capable of going fast. I just wonder in real world situations where one player is fucking it up and doing, you know, dragging it down or, or are they, or are they getting dragged off the back of the screen and dying over and over again in a way that, you know, is miserable. Like I, the, the, the four player co-op nature of this game, I think opens up a lot of doors that might not have very fun answers to behind behind them. You know what I mean? I don't have a, I don't have those answers, but um, but yeah, are you going to end up bubbled up the entire time or something? You know, like it's it's real. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, that and you know, as I as I the longer I looked at it, the longer I looked at the art style in that thing. I was like, you know, I don't think I like the way these characters look. I mean, they, you know, like, again, they, they kind of redrew some of that stuff to, to, you know, uh, it's just, it's a more of a cartoony polygonal vibe to it, but I, I don't know that it works. I, yeah. I don't know. Sonic looks soft. I like Sonic when he has sharp edges to him. He is a hedgehog. I think if you took the art style that they're using for Mickey Mouse these days and applied that to Sonic the Hedgehog, that might be neat. I don't know. Um, Sonic Superstars seems like it could be a massive disappointment. Is is I guess my point is is like I I don't like people that want a two D Sonic game. I'm, I'm this looks just different enough from that format wise and 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 speed wise in some cases that I'm like I. Hmm, I wonder. Um, that's not me like ringing alarm bells or you know, like I said, I I I, I did not manage to get my hands on it. I just I I spent some time watching it, and you know, between that and the trailers and stuff, I just kind of looked at it. and was like, I don't, I really don't know. I really don't know about this one. Um, like it could come out and be absolutely fine. It could come out and be really great. But uh, also, part of it seems like it could be weird. Um, let's see, what else? I went to the building where Ubisoft had their event and um, 
played some games on Saturday before they had their show. And we talked about those games after the, in the, if you go to YouTube and watch the Ubisoft video that I put up afterwards, we, we go through a bunch of footage of, uh, Prince of Persia and the crew and, uh, the division mobile game. Um, but then I also sat through the, um, the presentations for pretty much everything, but star Wars, uh, they did not show us star Wars ahead of time. Um, but I saw like the Assassin's Creed demo. I did not play Assassins. They did not have that playable there. Um, I did not play Avatar, but I saw pretty much a, a very similar presentation to the one that they put into their show. Um, and all I can say is Sivako, ladies and gentlemen, Sivako. I, the, I, I, don't, I won't spend a ton of time on it, but I continue to like, Avatar feels like this delusion, this like shared delusion. Um, I I don't I, I I don't know that I've ever met a person who has said that they like Avatar, and yet Avatar has made a zillions of dollars of money as a movie. And then a, a zillion years later, they made another one. I, 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 um, I don't know how that happened or why that, I don't know why that's happening. I don't know why we're continuing to allow this delusion to continue that people are someone in the chat says they saw the first avatar six times in theaters. I, okay. Why is it good? I saw I'm going to say somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour of the first movie once kind of by accident, just as a matter of circumstance of being somewhere where it was on a TV and I, it seemed like fucking the worst shit, the absolute fucking worst. So I, I don't like, I, I'm not trying to be a, a dick about it or or whatever. I, I just, I literally don't, it's hard for me to imagine that there are people in the world that really actually like Avatar as a movie. I think respecting it from a technical achievement, whatever, whatever. I think that there's, you know, there's certainly like at the time it came out, whatever, like, sure, I guess I could see that. Um, But I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I, and it never did. When when the first one came out, like I I I, I don't understand why that uh, why they made another one. Like it just when they announced they were fi- actually yes we are in fact going to make the new Avatar movies and they're coming soon. It was like a hilarious joke to me. It was like oh re- that's not gonna- oh oh they're they're really oh okay. The first movies were really popular. What like you just it's just it's scary. There's something frightening to me about the popularity of avatar. I don't, I don't, it's just like one of the most miserable films. <laughs> and again, I didn't see the whole thing, but like, I fucking don't want to from what I saw of it. Um, anyway, I don't know. It, it, it made a lot of money and I don't know why. And now Ubisoft is making a very big far cry game, but with blue tall blue dudes in it. Um, You'll create a character. You will create your own Navi. 
And, uh, you know, if you remember from the thing that they showed, um, you are a Navi who was kidnapped by evil humans and you were raised to use human weapons. I, the, their idea was they're going to, we're going to train these blue dudes in the ways of human smoking fools. And then we're going to make the blue dudes go and smoke the other blue dudes. Ah, ah. A knife. Um, and then something bad happens that I think was something from the first movie, maybe. And they decide to kill all of the, the, the entire program of them training evil blue dudes, child soldier blue dudes. They decide to scuttle that and they're like, kill all the blue dudes. We've got to get out of here. Uh, but then your teacher throws you into cryo sleep for 15 years and then you come out the other end and then you have to figure out what the hell is going on. And you, you, they made a very big day deal in their presentation about like the flying creature thing, but not from a like, yo, you can fly and you can shoot at the same time and look at all this cool shit you can do. They were like, you're going to be able the, the Navi build a lifelong bond with their f flying thing. And you will do that in the game. You will build your lifelong bond with your flying creature and you will be able to name it. And, and I, I don't, I, and so I, you know, I, was like, I don't, it's, it's this weird, like backwards. Where I'm like, are, these people are serious. Like these people, you know, these people are are saying serious sentences about the world of Avatar, and I'm I'm still sitting here going like that's hilarious. Like, who would care about? And I, and I but then you go walk it back to the amount of money that that first movie made. There must be some percentage of people that really do actually deeply care about that. Maybe. Um. And good on them, but it was just like like watching the presentation and 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 watching this like deep reverence for the, which is what you want out of a you know if you if you like this property then I'm sure that's exactly what you want right but it's this like the deep reverence for the Avatar property and James Cameron and the team at Lightstone oh we did mm, oh um was real nuts to me when I look at the game it looks like a Far Cry game. Um, but you're a, a giant blue dude or, or lady, I guess you can, you make your own and you can play two player co-op and you will go out there and you will craft things, um, better weapons and gear. So I assume that means a bigger pouch to hold more arrows and all of like a lot of the same stuff that you would expect out of a Far Cry game, um, seemed like the sort of stuff that they were going for here. Um, and because you are you are removing pollution from the land, you are you know these these human bases are spewing pollution into the world. So when you go and blow them up, uh, the you know they will get overgrown with plant life, and you know the nature will reclaim the area. The pollution will go away, and that will then improve the quality of the items that you can harvest in that part of the world. And they stopped to, they, they made sure to, you know, like, it's not going to be a game where you're walking around picking up everything. Um, and, 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 you know, like getting all of these crafting materials and, and whatever else, 
they were like, no, because that wouldn't be true to the world of Avatar. Instead, how you harvest the item will determine the quality of the item. And that is how you, you know, you will only take what you need from the environment. You will not hoard things and, you know, and, um, and I'm sitting here in a room full of people and, and just like looking at it and I'm like, I really I'm like, this is, I, you know, okay. Like make your blue dude game, but I, uh, well, whatever. I don't know. It's, like I said, there are a lot of people who really like it and I'm sure that they will be psyched by some of those aspects of the game. Um, And, you know, like, you know, you fly around and you do stuff and, you know, you shoot shit and, you know, you do stealth things. You do open world jungle Ubisoft stuff, you know. You sneak into bases and you mark targets and then you go decide if you're going to go in with your bow and do it stealth style or if you're going to run in there with the human assault rifle or rocket launcher or whatever and go loud and shoot everybody that way, you know. But either way, you are taking that base back to reclaim it for your side and then, you know. Um, and, and so like, yeah, a, a lot of the vibe I got out of it, at least from a gameplay perspective was very much like that. They are kind of making a far cry game. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully at some point you get in some prototype, big mech that the big people, the big blue people can fit into and that you will have to go burn some space weed field while Skrillex plays. I, I, I can only hope, right. That they, that they really take advantage of the, um, you know, the environment, the, the, the games that came before them. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, I, it's not me saying no one is allowed to like avatar. I, you know, cause I presumably people do. I just don't know anyone. I don't think, I don't think I know any, anyone I know who does like avatar keeps that to themselves. <laughs> They're not out there bragging about their love of avatar. Um, and so like the whole thing was just this weird, like fever dream in a lot of ways where I was just like, I don't like this. They're really, they're really serious about making a game out of this fucking dumbass thing. Uh, but you know, if that thing comes out and it has a lot of those far cry mechanics in it and whatever else, like, you know, it, it could be a perfectly fine open world game in that Ubisoft template. So if you're up for one of those, I, it seems like it will be one of those. I don't know. Um, even if you don't care about Avatar, I don't know. It's a first-person game, so you know it's really just you looking at a blue arm and then, I guess, reconnecting with the other Na'vi. Reconnecting with your roots as a Na'vi who was raised by humans, a child of two worlds. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. It's... seemed very silly seemed like a very serious, silly thing to be very serious about. And they were very serious about it and good on them. You have to be, if you're going to make that game, you have to be very serious about it. You can't be like, I don't know. You fucking blue dudes. If, if I was making that game, I would not make it. Well, I'd be like, yeah, Sivaco motherfucker. Yeah, sure. Um, they, uh, they let people play the Prince of Persia game. That is, I believe that's out early next year, right? Uh, the, the 2d side scrolling, um, Prince of Persia game was it? I, dude, the subtitle of this game completely escapes me. The Crown of Throne, the Crown, Prince of Persia Throne Crowns. Uh, I am uh, the Lost Crown, the 
lost crown. I guess that makes sense because the prince of Persia is lost and you're finding the prince. Um, I, this, I had a really great time with this demo. I think it looks really nice. Uh, I think that they, they, they had a, a pretty sectioned off part of the world. Uh, they started us off kind of just post the tutorial and had had a custom build of the game that had a bunch of shit locked away so you couldn't see it. Um, but I was able to get in a boss fight and, and walk around and, and, and kind of do things. And I think that a lot of the mobility is really fun to engage with. It's a lot of stuff like, you know, you're doing wall jumps into flips, into grabbing a pole and flipping off of that and going up here. And, uh, you know, you'll have draw bridges that you can lower, but if they're raised, you can use them for wall jumps. And so you'll have kind of scenarios where you have to like wall jump your way over it to get to the other side, to lower it so that you don't have to do that ever again, you know, and uh, shortcut kind of way but um i i thought a lot of that game felt really nice it's got a real kind of melee combat focus to it um so it's sword combat you on the left trigger is a parry with a really wide window so not not a particularly difficult parry to pull off um and so you can parry most normal attacks coming your way you can bat arrows back at the people that shot them um some enemies will have attacks where they really kind of wind up for them if you parry those there's a kind of a little quick animated flash and all you know like a you know you're kind of parrying these major attacks those will do more damage um even in the boss fight you were able to parry some attacks and and you know you're parrying this big chimera looking fucking lion scorpion thing manticore i guess manticore um and uh it felt really nice. You have a, a meter that's building up, so you have supers that you can pop off as that meter is filling, one of which was like a, a melee, like a, a projectile attack out of your, like a sword projectile. And the other one was like a healing well that would plop onto the ground and you could stand in it to heal up. Um, save spots littered around the environment. You're getting a currency that you're spending on additional gear. Uh, Prince of Persia, the Lost Crown has an amulet system in it, and you have a set number of amulet slots that you can equip amulets to. I equipped an amulet that made it so when I shot my arrows, it shot three arrows instead of one. You have arrows in the game, by the way, so you can kind of attack, you know, you have a ranged attack, but you have a limited number of arrows, so you always have to kind of replenish those when you can. Um... And then you have an ability where you can plop down a shadow of yourself and then hit a button and warp back to that shadow. Um, it doesn't rewind time, but you pull back to that spot. And so you can kind of use that for various puzzles or you can use it to, you know, hey, quickly teleport to the other side of an enemy if you're thinking ahead of time. It's the sort of thing that I did not realize was in the game until after I had finished the demo and started playing it again on Switch and saw that it was in there. I was like, oh, shit. Or maybe it was only in the Switch build. I'm not, I'm not positive. Um, but that was a neat effect. And um, yeah, I, I, I have nothing but uh, positive things to say about that game. It, it seemed very cool. Uh, little bits of homage to the original 2D Prince of Persia games here and there. Um, but uh, seems very much like a Metroidvania. You know, big, big map. You know, it's a map game. You got a map. Uh, I did not see the whole map, but I scrolled around the empty screen and it sure felt like I was scrolling for a long time. So I don't know. I got the impression that the world would probably be kind of big. 
Uh, and I thought it felt really nice. I thought the, the combat felt very fluid. You can, you know, the right trigger is kind of your air dash, but also if you do it on the ground, it'll slide. And so you can slide into an upward kick that launches an enemy in the air and then chase them up for more attacks that way. Um, and I thought it just felt very fluid and fun. Uh, really, really nice. Really like the look of it. Um, you know, some cutscenes in there for whatever story stuff, uh, you're going to see as, as you, one of the seven immortals, a ragtag group of superhero type. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not superheroes, but, um, you know, there's seven folks that are looking for the missing prince and you all split up at the beginning of the game and, and then whatever else. So I, I don't know. Like I, I came away from it. Um, really impressed with how it felt. So, um, so yeah. Uh, the crew Motorfest. I also, I would say that I came away from that feeling pretty good. I have been not a big fan of the other games in the crew franchise. I thought the crew two had a really rough feel to it. Um, and, uh, had a lot of disciplines in it that I didn't necessarily want to engage with. And they kept adding more and more stuff over time that sounded cool, but in practice was not that much fun. Um, I mostly played that game at launch, but then, you know, would check on it. Like we added monster trucks and you're like, okay, oh, this isn't, this is not actually that fun. Okay. Well, good on you, I guess. And they kept updating the crew too forever. Um, the crew motor fest feels like they took a long look in the mirror that they really just sat down and said, all right, it's time to make another one of these. What do we really want to accomplish here? And they said, you know, the Forza Horizon franchise really has some solid ideas about how to structure an open world driving game. What if we did that? So you're, the game is set in Hawaii. Uh, you, it is a festival and you are, uh, as part of the festival, you were able to drive in a bunch of different disciplines. The handful of things they showed in the build that I saw was like, okay, you got some open wheel racing on, you know, closed tracks. You've got, uh, a play, they call them playlists, but that's like, it's, that's a interchangeable word for like series or cup or whatever else. It was like, a, here's a cluster of eight races that have a little miniature story there in the middle. Um, and then you are, you know, you are, you are embarking on these eight races. And then at the end of it, you're getting a bonus car and moving on to do the next thing. Um, one of the things they're trying to do with these festivals, with the, with, the, with these, with these playlists is trying to make them visually distinct and so they'll have names like Made in Japan. And when you go start the Made in Japan playlist, they got a little tone piece video of Japan stuff. And then in game, in, in race, the Made in Japan races have this kind of bluish neon tinge. And then there are big dragons and lanterns all over the place, which I thought was a little too on the nose to the point where it's like, oh, this is, you could... Japan's more than this. This feels a little... I don't know. Um, and so in these in these events within the playlists, you'll be doing different things. They had another one that was like called Vintage Garage. And that's got more of a sepia tone-like effect to it. 
Also, when you're doing those races, because it's vintage cars, you don't have a mini-map anymore. You don't have nitro in most of the cars, so you can't boost your way out of trouble. The cars are heavier, no traction control, that type of stuff. Um, and they had an event in there where you were, you're navigating by looking at photos of the environment. And so it's like, you know, they're telling you like, hey, up here at the next, when you see this tree, turn right. And uh, so you're kind of looking at the sides of the road to see where the next stuff is and, um, and, and making your turns that way or whatever. But in the vintage garage one, again, they, they want to have this visual motif that sets them apart. And one of the big things they did there was to put balloons in the sky that say decades. So you'll just see a, a balloons in the sky that say 50s or 70s. Or 80s, and the 80s one is real jagged, like, because it's the 80s. Um, and so I really like the idea of them doing things to the world to help kind of sell the motif of these playlists. However, I think the two examples I saw of what they did between the Made in Japan and the Vintage Garage are kind of corny. Like, they could have done better than that. Um, and so that's kind of my problem with the game, but you know, it's got rewind now. I don't, I don't know if past crew games have had rewind, but it's these again, they, it, it has a real Forza horizon feel to it. I think the sense of speed is good. I think the cars feel really nice in a way that I do not, do not remember the crew two feeling like I remember starting the crew two and being like, man, these cars feel fucking terrible. And thinking like, do I have to play like 20 hours to unlock cars that are fun to drive? Or what's the deal here? Because um, I'm not going to do that. And so I did not do that. Um, but this, I, I, I think it's got a really great sense of speed. I think the, the cars feel really nice. And um, it feels like a totally, absolutely acceptable driving game. Like it feels good, you know? Um and it runs well. And so my hope is that, you know, it's got enough variety to it. And, you know, whatever. If it's like the previous crew games, they will spend nine years adding shit to it. And, uh, you know, that, that'll be cool. They're letting Crew 2 players import their cars into this one, which is a neat idea. Um, It's a neat idea, but also at the same time, like, I feel like cars should not be that difficult to get or attain, you know, so like, just let me just get cars and drive them. Like, I, I don't, I, you kind of don't want the like slow ascension up the ranks of cars because you don't want to have that situation where like, Oh, for the first several hours, you're driving slow cars that suck to drive. You know, like, oh, fun. Um, I think Forza Horizon has done a good job of, of that, of like letting you drive a variety of cars, but also they managed to make the, the kind of more stock cars, the more kind of dull cars still feel fun to engage with. I think the crew two ended up not doing that. Um, yeah, on, on the crew two vehicle import, there was a little asterisk on it. So I wonder if it's a situation where it's like, and some of these cars will not be in the new game. So those ones won't import, but a lot of them will, you know, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I, I had a positive experience with the Crew Motorfest. I'll be interested to see that when it comes out and um and we'll see uh how it does. Um 
I played the Division Resurgence, which is the mobile game. Um, it is set in New York, so it reuses uh, a lot of the map stuff from the first game. Um, some of the same factions, the cleaners, like all that sort of stuff are present as well. Um, a new faction called the Freeman. They will have the dark zone in there. Like, it, 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 like to hear them tell it and to, I mean, I played a mission myself. It seems like they're replicating a good chunk of the division experience on a phone. One of the changes they're making to the dark zone is they're putting a time limit on it. So like you can kind of only be in the dark zone for 20 minutes. And that's something, you know, when you think about mobile games and session length and, and whatever else that they kind of, you know, it makes sense for them to do that. But yeah, you're, you're back in New York and you are, you know, it is set after the events of the division one. And so presumably there'll be characters and some tie-ins to, to some of that stuff in there along the way. I it's I played it with a controller and you play it and you're like this feels like a division game and on one hand that's impressive like again they have they have managed to replicate a lot of the division experience on a mobile device and you're like well don't that just beat all these phones man they're powerful but I still don't want to play the division on a phone um I still don't want to play the division on a phone screen I don't want to, I don't, you know, like, that's just not how I want to engage with a game like that. Um, some people will. And uh, to them, I say, yeah, you'll get a four-player co-op division game on your phone, and that's pretty neat. Uh, but again, I, I I would be very interested in a The Division 3. Um, but... Ah, alas. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, 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 that's the only, the only downer about that was like, it, Hey, look at this. It's a game that I would, I would probably play some of, but I'm not going to squint at my phone and go like, am I getting headshots? Am I lining up headshots here? Am I aiming a little low? I can't really, you know, the numbers are popping. Okay. Those, the, those, the, now we got the yellow numbers. Now we got the crit numbers. Okay. We're like, our aim is lined up. Um, that's not how I like to play shooters on a tiny screen where you're like kind of like squinting at it going like, I don't know, everything's fucking brown. Is that brown? Is that are these brown pixels the guy's face? Because that's where I want to shoot him. I suppose I could play on an iPad. I suppose you could tether it to a TV and jump through that hoop as well if you so desired. But at that point, like, ah, <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, uh, that's cool. If you're if you're interested in that sort of thing, um, that seemed well, ab- absolutely well made, you know. Um, and then yeah, I don't you know. There's there's little bits and pieces of other stuff that I saw. Mars First Logistics really stood out. That was shown in the Day of the Devs showcase, and that that trailer of like you're creating vehicles to you're like you are building vehicles to carry things around and carry out tasks and stuff in a in a banjo kazooie nuts and bolts-esque kind of way and so i really want to spend some time with that when that comes out i thought cocoon looked really fantastic um i talked to some folks that got the armored core demo there was a hands-off armored core demo that they were giving um it's always funny when everyone gets together and talks about the emails they did or didn't get like oh you oh you you got invited to see ubisoft oh oh Okay, huh? And then on the other hand, I'm like, wait, they invite the armored core is here? 
And they're like, oh, yeah, you didn't get invited. And they, I got an email from Namco that was like, do you want to come see Park Beyond, the park game that they're making? And that was the only thing on the email. And so I was like, well, I, I guess maybe Namco's not really showing anything else here. I thought maybe Tekken would show up. And they had a bunch of TVs and stuff playing Tekken videos. And even the Armored Core thing was um, was a hands-off demo. But it was someone playing it, as I understand. Um, I don't have much to say about it because I didn't see it for myself. So I'll just say like the, you know, it seemed like the people that did get the demo kind of went like, that's a mech game. You know, and, and a lot of people are going to go into that thinking like it's the next game from the makers of Dark Souls and Elden Ring and it's going to be one of those, but you can be a robot and no. Sounds like it's an Armored Core game. Sounds like they're making a new Armored Core. And I think for a lot of people, they're going to be fucking stoked because they're making a new Armored Core. Um... And I think there's going to be some people that go from the makers of Elden Ring. Let's go get that. And they're going to get it and be like, oh, no, <laughs> this is what is the Armored Core is. Yes, Armored Core is a mech game for sickos. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how all of that goes. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I have never been an Armored Core sicko. I have tried to like those games over the years and never could get into them at all. Um, but it's been a long time and people's tastes change and I, I'm very curious to see what they do with this because obviously modern technology will afford them a lot of ways to make the Armored Core experience more palatable to a wider, uh, a wider array of people. And so I'm curious to see if this will end up being the Armored Core game that sickos and normals can enjoy. We'll see. That's the big question. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's the, the, the bulk of kind of specific games to talk about here. Um, you know, there's more little bits and pieces and, Obviously, some of the announcements along the way, uh, a lot of that is wrapped up in, you know, me talking over some of the press conferences. So those videos are up, I guess, you know, the only thing at this point is to maybe get on to the news. NASA punk. That's the term that Bethesda is using to describe the aesthetic they are shooting for in Starfield, a first or third person role-playing game set in space that they're planning to put out a little later this year, relatively soon. Um, they devoted, uh, what a good half hour or so to Starfield, uh, at the end of the Xbox presentation. And I thought it was a very, I uh, appreciated the insight they gave into the number of different systems and like they, they, it was a pretty deep dive into that game, into the systems of that game. And for as much as, uh, you know, we can laugh at the term NASA punk. I think it is a very silly term. Uh, but I think the aesthetic of that game is very much my type of shit when we talk about sci-fi and we talk about space 
how I want the aesthetics of a space thing to look. That is very much in line with what I am looking for. Um, I think the overwhelming majority of what they showed looked really good. I think if you, again, if you take it at face value and try to get the, it's very easy to think about the kind of downsides of Bethesda Game Studios and the games they have shipped in the past, and we will certainly talk about that in a little bit here. Um, I think everything they said about that game made me want to play it a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm the type of guy that, like, you know, whatever. I was going to play Starfield anyway. Why wouldn't you? Um, so, like, I kind of didn't need to know any more of the game. But looking at it, you look at it and go, like, yeah. I mean, a lot of it feels like very kind of known quantity because you look at it and you go, yes. I see the systems and I see the concepts that you have brought to bear in games like Skyrim and in games like Fallout 4 whether it's outpost building and, and you know like the or the faction driven type of stuff that you I think when you look at uh when when you look at Starfield you see a game that is the culmination of the games that came before it you know and and you see a lot of those systems in play here in some cases untouched in some cases uh, blown out in ways that, you know, give you a little bit more of options to choose from, from your origin story to whatever else. But, you know, you also saw a lot of, like, dudes talking to you on camera that felt like it needed a like, zoom in to the guy talking, and then you pick the one that says Speech 100 next to it and hope for the best. You know, like, like it seems like they are making one of their games. Um, but this one is set in space and as such, it ends up being bigger, you know, and, and more expansive than some of the games they have done in the past. Right. Uh, I thought that all the shipbuilding stuff looked cool. I thought that, you know, I had not considered the very idea of you building a big enough ship that you then have a crew on your ship. I guess I just hadn't considered the idea that you would have a crew on your ship. Um, it always felt like that would be a game where you're like, you got you and maybe you got your one companion, you know, a robot detective that has to go solve space crimes or another friendly robot or some kind of alien guy or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of the stuff they showed, you know, you, you look at it and go, like, oh yeah, this is, yeah, you're making one of these games, but bigger because it's in space. Makes total sense. Um, and a lot of, I think a lot of what they showed was relatively self-explanatory. Um, but also nice to see. Uh, I'm trying to think, you know, I, I, I appreciate that they also, I mean, this was the, the, the depth of their presentation was such that they were able to show, you know, they, they had a moment where they're like talking to the devs, what's your favorite part of the game? And one of the folks they were talking to, she just started talking about how she raids every ship, steals every sandwich, and then puts every sandwich in her cargo hold. And having that is like, you know, something of a nod to the Skyrim cheese wheel stuff. Um, It's fantastic. Like, that's exactly what I want to see. When it comes to that game, I want to see the table full of fucking sandwiches, right? the the part where they're like oh let's we could do this and you can 
you can shoot people in the face, or you can choose this origin story, and then you get a jetpack. And you're like, yeah, I guess I'll probably choose the jetpack one. I, I, I hope the rest of those are real good, because, boy, the jetpack one sounds pretty fucking hard to beat. Um, but a table full of sandwiches, the screenshot of the table full of sandwiches, which I made the thumbnail for that fucking thing. But like that footage right there did more to make me feel good about that game than anything else they said. If that makes any sense, (laughs) um, you know, um, so I am interested. I'm very interested in playing Starfield and seeing what it's all about. That said, it is very hard. And, you know, I know they've delayed the game and, you know, I know that they're, they're talking all about how they are in this polish phase and how they, you know, the bug count and what, you know, other stuff they've, they've tried to say about where Starfield is out at, um, from a glitch and bug perspective. Um, but we've gone down that road before and that's the sort of, that is a, that is a real rubber meets the road sort of situation where I feel like that studio simply does not have the credibility. Like I, I want to play that game and know for myself, they can say, and it's nice that they're saying it. It's nice that they're acknowledging the the bug count, the whatever it is and saying like, Hey, yeah, you know, yeah, this one is cleaner than than what we've done before maybe maybe not saying it that exact number of words right but um but that's the big concern those games launch in a variety of rough states and uh and they sell super well so the the developer is not often not incentivized to do better um And so, yeah, when you see things like the fewest bugs of any game from Bethesda, that could still be a lot of bugs because their games have shipped with way too many in the past. Fallout 4, whatever. I, I'm not, I don't have to, I'm, I'm not going to go through it all again. Um, Fallout 4 really sucked at launch. I played it on PlayStation 4. I had a disastrous time with that game in spots. Um... So there's that, right? Where you're like, okay, prove it. That's that's the point we're at. Is you know the game has to come out, and we'll see, and we'll hope. We'll hope that it. Uh, we'll hope that it comes in good for a change. That would be a nice surprise. Um, and then there's this frame rate stuff, which is not really a conversation about the game itself. I think. Um. Todd Howard confirmed to IGN uh, that Starfield will run at 30 frames per second on both Xbox Series X and S. It'll run in 4K on an X and at 1440p on an S. Um, to me, this is... This is more of a problem with the consoles. And where the consoles are at, I think, you know, I, I look at this and, you know, the quote he gave to IGN was, you know, it's like, we really, we didn't want to sacrifice anything I'm like, oh, so you, so you sacrificed frame rate and frame rate always loses the battle every generation, you know, since we started doing this shit with polygons, that's always been the case, right? Um, 
And it's weird because you would think, I don't, I don't know, like the, the, you used to do that because you wanted the back of the box to look great. And so 30 frames per second with textured polygons makes those PS1 game boxes look a lot better than flat shaded polys at 60. Um, and obviously, you know, you can play that game on a PC and see where you get to as far as frame rate goes and what the requirements will be to maintain that sort of stuff. Um, so I, you know, there's, there's another story here. Um, Bill Spencer spoke with Bloomberg video games. Chronicle has this story. Uh, and Bloomberg asked, like, hey, are we going to see uh, an upgraded, like, a half, another half-step console? You know, remember, like, he just got up in front of people. Well, he, they just they just aired a pre-recorded message from him a couple days ago where they were like, the Xbox Series X is much easier to find now than it was. And also, we're making a new Xbox Series S with a bigger hard drive in it. You know, that'll be out in September. A black, a black S with a one terabyte drive. Um... For 350 that's a really solid price for a video game machine I think in this day and age um but Bloomberg did ask you know do we do we see another do we see another update like what's the story and the quote he gave is you know that's not the feedback we're getting right now right now we're pretty set on the hardware we have um Which, you know, of course you're, you're gonna, of course you're, you're gonna say that, right? You know, you, you, even if you were thinking about doing that in a year or two, you would not say that right now because you are trying to sell your existing console, which you just said is now much easier to find and, and so on and so forth. That's not me saying that he's lying. It's me saying that like the reality of the situation is he's not going to tip his hand and say, oh yeah, of course, give us another year. We'll have that one out. You know, you, you just, it's not the answer you're going to give. Um, and so, you know, the, the story here is, you know, that he's saying that the cloud gaming is, you know, an additive thing to their existing business. It's not a separate business, you know, that they're significantly increasing supplies of the series X and, you know, this Bloomberg article doesn't have too much more in terms of detail here. Um, but also it's, you know, they do kind of touch on the NFT stuff. Which uh, Spencer says his goal is for the player's wishes to help him determine product development. For example, Xbox didn't see a need to release products tied to non-fungible tokens or blockchain gaming trends viewed with skepticism in the gaming community. And the quote here he gave is, we didn't go off and just start building a bunch of NFT games or blockchain games. I just want to make sure that the games are led by the experience that the player feels and nothing else. Like, yeah. I mean, that's the right answer to that question. Um, but okay, so he's out there saying that they don't really feel the need to, or the, or the the they don't feel the the pull to go and have another mid cycle upgrade to the console. Um, and that's kind of in conjunction. That's around. It's the same week that you've got. Um, your biggest game, the most important role-playing game 
in in a general in in years, um, whatever the exact quote was, and it's running at thirty on console. Um, it's a, it's a it's sort of a rough story. I don't I don't know, man. The a lot of this comes back to I wish these consoles were more powerful, but like you have to stop somewhere. You have to stop at a point where the console can still be affordable. You can't just drop a 4090 into a box and throw it out there. You know, you 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 know, you have thermal limitations, you have the size of the machine, you have you have all of this sort of stuff. And so like I I guess like the question I have now that I would love to see some data on that I don't know that that's I I'm sure that that's data that like hardware manufacturers probably have. Um, because if they, if they had data that pointed the other way, they would go the other way. But I think the data that they have says that like, by and large, millions of players that are playing games on console do not give a fuck about 60 frames per second. They simply do not. It is not a priority for them. And that many of them would prefer, I bet, you know, because they probably do have a lot of data around like who chooses performance mode over resolution mode or when they're presented with the option, which ones do they pick versus which one's a default and which one, you know, um, a lot of that stuff is certainly something they're going to have data around. And obviously they just kind of took it on the chin real hard for, uh, for Redfall a game that does not matter in the grand scheme of things, but because it was a game they said was going to have a 60 frames per second mode and doesn't, they got raked over the coals to the point where they had to get out there and do damage. And they, they, they found themselves in a position where they were doing some damage control in some interviews around Redfall. Um, and so to be at this point here where we're, we're having this conversation and and the thought is in place about you know because they did it last time and and what have you that you know like oh well i wonder if we're going to end up having another console upgrade and really you know what does the future of consoles look like you know i think that's the you know we're we were up until last generation used to this idea of you put a console out and you're going to have five or seven years there where that's going to be the box. And the other thing that would normally happen is when those consoles came out, they felt like a big leap ahead of the PC. And then the PC and other graphics card generation would iterate and the PC would pull ahead again and you would move on from there. But really in a lot of ways, this is just a different version of the slim console that we had in generations past when the, the PS one came out when the slim PlayStation two came along the four different iterations of PlayStation threes. But instead of how can we make this thing smaller and cheaper? They are saying, Oh, can we like add some additional power into this thing and maintain the same price point? Because that would be cool. And so that's how we got to the PlayStation four pro and the Xbox one X, um, was you know that kind of mentality also like in some cases that could have been a a once in a not once in a generation but like a not a once in a lifetime thing somewhere in between those things but like that could be something of a rarity because if you remember the thing that happened alongside the playstation 4 pro and the xbox one x was that there was a massive push a massive shift from television companies 
like everyone wanted to push towards 4K. There was this like irrational push to selling 4K TVs to people who didn't need them because the content wasn't ready yet. The content wasn't available yet in, in large quantities. And, and so you had this kind of very sudden shift where everyone was suddenly trying to get everyone to buy a 4K TV. Um, and so the PlayStation 4 Pro had this checkerboarding technique that they would use to try to get existing games up to 4K. And, you know, is that true 4K? No, but it's going to look better. And it did. It did look better. And But, like, you had all of these weird methods that companies started using to try to get their games up to 4K because they're like, oh, 4K, we have to get our games to 4K. We have to get our games to 4K. And here we are still seeing the trade-offs of those decisions where you've got Starfield. It's got to be 4K, right? And so it's got to be 30 frames per second, too. Um... 4K still feels like a farce. 4K still feels like something that we don't actually. It's not that we don't need it because who needs any of it, right? But 4K still feels like something that the number of compromises around, yeah, install size because of texture quality or like how can you get performance graphics at 4K? Like you would, of course, it, like in a perfect world, you would be seeing 4K 120 on fucking everything, right? This, you know, and someday the power will be there, right? But right now, of course it's not. I couldn't do that. You know, I have a 4090 in this machine. I don't think that is going to do 4K 120 anytime soon on, on plenty of modern games, right? Um. So, I, you know, 4K still feels like a bad goal. Um, because of the compromises were, you know, because of these frame rate hits that we're getting as well. And so having things like, oh, HDMI 2.1, it can do 4K 120. And you're like, yeah, that's great. Most games are not going to come anywhere near that, or they're going to have to use various types of upsampling or, you know, like various kind of shifty techniques to get there, or they're going to look a little rougher you know and 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 also now games take four to six years to complete that's a quote that uh matt booty gave um the xbox's matt booty um talking about kind of the reality of modern dev cycles for their games and he's kind of said like oh we feel like we've turned the corner and and you know we're gonna in when we get to 2024 we'll have a really good regular cadence of games coming out in a way that we have not really in 2022 and in, in so far in 2023. Um, and so how much of that is you've got to generate high res art. You've got to make sure that these assets are getting made. There's so much more art, art budgets and texture, but you know, like, like just making those assets is taking more people and more time than it did before. Uh, and is that all worth it? Is that all worth it? Also, yes, uh, RX Rash uh, Rashad says, uh, I heard that in 2021 and 2022, to be honest. Yeah, I feel like the Microsoft has been turning the corner on game releases for a while now, and then the games end up getting delayed, and shit happens, right? I mean, I, I think that, you know, they've, they've caught a fucking ton of bad breaks, and how many of those were self-inflicted by decisions they made or not, it's 
hard to say, right? But, you know, you're making games through the pandemic and just all the way that stuff changed and also a new console generation that suddenly stacks on additional resource costs for making all of these assets and you're outsourcing it and you're doing this and that, you know, yeah, I mean, fuck, man, shit's fucking hard. Um, but yeah, they've kind of been saying that for a while and you know, whatever I, I think with, with Xbox in general, like I said, for Starfield, I think that they've just got to start doing it. And I think that that's where they're at is I, I you know, they're not dumb. They realize that we just got to fucking, we got to eat shit for a while and get to a point where the games are coming out and then that'll, that will write the ship. If the games come out and the games are good. All is forgiven. It's not going to make them sell 8 trillion Xbox consoles and, and make them the first place console or anything like that. But hey, that said, when I think about the Xbox showcase, I was caught off guard. If you want to see a moment of me being legitimately fucking surprised, um, catch me at the end of that Xbox showcase as they are setting up the Starfield thing by saying, we got one more thing. And then that thing being the Starfield thing that they had already announced. I, uh, I thought that there was going to maybe be like one more big thing there. Um, like, no, not Elder Scrolls and not, you know, because that's, you know, that team is making Starfield. There, there would be a pointless, it would be pointless to say more about Elder Scrolls at this point. Right. Um, Hexen, like, okay, he wore the Hexen t-shirt, but that deal isn't closed yet. If you, and then that's, if you know that Hexen is an Activision property on the publishing end, but an id property on the developer end, then you know that they would have not been able to announce, to easily announce a Hexen game at that time. But surely if, if that deal closes, which eh, we'll see, um, that a Hexen game would be much more directly on the table if the Activision deal closes. Um, so that's that's why you wear a Hexen shirt. That was the shiniest shirt I've ever seen. It's like someone came back from the mall and said, here's your shirt, Phil, and then they recorded the thing. You think they had meetings about what shirt he should wear? I don't know. Um, I, you know, I think that when you, when you go and you take a real nuts and bolts look at what they showed in the Xbox showcase, what they announced, who it was from, where it's going, I think that they had a good batch of games, uh, that are coming to game pass. And so I think you look at that in the context of these are a lot of games that will debut on game pass. That's a good subscription service. I think they did a good job of bolstering that subscription service. Um, I thought the fable bit was very well done in a relieving way, considering how fable has been kind of known about for a long time now and not shown to finally show something meaningful on that game. Um, I, I thought that looked really good. And I like to see them doing a British comedy thing for that game. I thought that that, that bit really landed with me. I, I thought that the Fable stuff looked really, 
good. I had nothing, nothing bad to say about that. Specifically because some of the rumors were that maybe they were going to make a game that was not comedic in nature. And you're like, wow, that seems like a dramatic misunderstanding of what Fable is to go and make that game. So you look at that, you go, okay, this seems like it's potentially in good hands here. Um, and that they've at least settled on a direction enough to where they can show that direction in a trailer and, and you know, move forward with it, right? So, um, so I was happy to see that. I think, you know, you got to show what you got and you got to not overplay your hand. That's the delicate balance, right? It'd be very easy to get out there and put up, uh, a fucking picture of the the Gears of War logo and say in the next chapter in the Gears of War franchise we'll be talking about soon and having nothing but like a Marcus Phoenix dialogue, you know, like some empty thing that has no gameplay and isn't coming from a build of a game, you know, just some real thing that they're like, yeah, man, Gears is coming. But I, I think that they have spent too much time over the last handful of years having situations where games got announced but not shown or... Like Perfect Dark is a really good example of that, right? Where they they haven't had much to say about it in in a while now, right? So, was it the right move to confirm that game's existence back when they did? Because now it creates a situation where now it's not here, and you're like, hmm, what the hell's going on? I think they've got enough games on the books, and uh, they showed some new stuff here, some third party stuff, whatever else, big and small, and so they, um they focused on stuff that is going to be coming along pretty soon here. And I guess like, you know, but there was nothing in that showcase, even fable to a certain extent and Forza, you know, Forza looks good. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not saying Forza looks, you know, like unimportant or whatever, but at the same time, um, Forza looks very serious in a way that I'm not sure that I'm up for anymore. You know, the Forza horizon games are more my speed. And so, you know, a, a motor, motorsports simulator um i don't know they they struck a good balance with forza motorsport in the past so i presumably they'll do that here um but you know it, it's it's not something that you're gonna like i don't know that i'll jump out of my seat over it or, or whatever else right we'll see we'll see how that thing ends up i'm sure it'll be fine right it's forza like it's they've had a long time to work on it you know, you know hey um But I, you kind of want, it's this intangible thing, man. So especially in the position that Microsoft is in where they just, they need to start shipping the games they've already announced. They don't need to get out there and announce more new games. Uh, and so they just need to get Avowed out, which Avowed look cool, you know? Um, they need to get Hellblade out. I have, I could not have less interest in Hellblade, honestly. Um, I know some people liked that first game quite a bit. I, it didn't really do much for me. And so them making a bigger, like a, I just like, sure. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't, I don't have any interest in Hellblade whatsoever. Um, so, you know, so that doesn't land for me, but I, I guess like I, I, there was nothing in that show that felt like the big first party explosive announcement that you're like, Oh fuck they're doing, you know? And 
you know, sequels can be that at times, right? When they say, oh, here's the next Halo, which they obviously they couldn't say, here's the next Halo right now, you know? Um, and I don't know that Gears has the pull that it used to. I it, it's It's this feeling that I think a lot of the kind of like classic Xbox franchises have grown a little long in the tooth. They have not done an amazing job of, of making new stars. The kids ain't getting over like the Attitude Era Xbox games did, uh, you know? And so it's, you know, you kind of need something new or, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Because, again, like, I, you know, people said, like, oh, they should make another Gears sequel. And, yeah, they will. They are. I mean, that seems like a pretty known thing that the Coalition was attempting to do something else and now is not. Um, but I'm pretty sure that they're doing gears. I, you know, that says they, they set up the, the last one ended on the type of cliffhanger that you have to finish the fight on. So, um, it would be very weird that they didn't, uh, if if they did not follow up on that with something that closes out that storyline. So I, I think that, you know, Hey, we'll at least see one more gears of war game. But yeah, I, I just, I don't know, man. Like those games and those announcements used to feel so massive, so all-encompassing, so like, you know, we talk about AAA games or whatever, but like a lot of the big first-party games just felt even bigger than that. And I don't know what you do to get that feeling back, that vibe, that swagger, that whatever it is. Um, but nothing in that show grabbed me that way. Not even Starfield, which I think, you know, I don't want, that's not me underselling Starfield. I think that Starfield is a huge game for them. It's a very important game for them, but it's, you know, we'll, we'll see how it does. Like, how's that going to do mainstream wise? We'll see. Skyrim obviously did fucking great. Um, so it's just, yeah, man, I, I don't know. Like, that's not a thing that exists anymore. And I think that's missing from games. The kind of big, crazy, like, massive announcement, the big sequel that you're like, oh, shit, they're doing, the, you know. Halo 2 is coming out. They're, did you know they're going to make another Halo? And like, yeah, of course they're going to make another Halo. But like, hey, they showed it. They fucking showed it. You know, there's there was nothing there that approached that. You know, because Starfield, they've shown, and maybe it's just the way that, you know, games get marketed now is totally different. And, you know, yeah, Malice Squisher is probably right that GTA 6 is maybe the only thing that could do that right now. And, you know, Rockstar doesn't need to show that game right now. And, and if they did, they don't need to show it at an Xbox conference. They could, I don't know, they could show it at a console manufacturer thing if they wanted to. Um... Yeah, I don't know, man. There's just... Uh, I think that's just one of those things where the industry has changed. And, uh, and you know, we kind of need to judge a lot of these conferences in very different ways now because they're not... You know, you can't go back to, you know, E3 2006 or 7 or whatever. I don't whatever, whatever. Um, and And compare those press conferences to this stuff and... You know, because the industry was in such a different place then than it is now, that it's just sort of a different thing. But um But yeah, I guess like that that's my that's my take. That's that's why I think I was surprised and caught off guard by the the Xbox showcase is because 
I thought it was going to go for another 20, 30 minutes. I was like, cool, man. All right, now get back to the big games. Where's the big guns? You're going to close on something massive, right? And they didn't. They were like, yeah, I mean, they did technically, but they had announced ahead of time that like, oh, after this, we're going to talk about Starfield. You're like, yeah, okay. Well, that means that if you're separating Starfield out into its own thing, it must mean you got fucking bangers in there that you don't want to devote time. You want to give, give Starfield its own showcase because your big announcements you want to have live separately from that a little bit. Right, right. Nah, mm, mm, okay. So, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I was surprised, but when you, I think when you look at it more analytically and kind of remove it from the bullshit, uh, judging a press conference thing, which honestly only matters right now this week and who cares the games will ship and that we're judging them by how many people play them and buy them. That's the actual thing. The games are getting judged by critical reaction, player happiness, uh, number of hours, monthly active users, a game pass subscribers, month over month, you know, like those are the things that actually matter how the games showed at a fucking E3 press conference has always been a fucking bullshit fool's game. (laughs) Um, It's important that those games show and they show big, but the, obviously the real part that matters is, is when those games are available and when they sell them and, you know, pre-orders and excitement and you know, that, that sort of stuff. That said, I, you know, I think that they could have done better on the excitement end of generating excitement for the Xbox brand and for the games that they have coming. But uh, if that's what you got, that's what you got, right? Um, so we'll see. Like I said, I think Fable really um, stuck out really well. Um, but, you know, if, if we're playing the game of comparing press conferences, I feel like... I don't know, man. At least the Sony one had Marathon. And that's like intriguing, even if it's a live service game and whatever else. So like that at least left me thinking a lot more. Whereas after the Xbox thing was over, I was like, well, uh, Starfield looks great. And, uh, what else was at that show? What else was at at Xbox? And I just sit and think for a while. Oh, right. Fable, Fable, Fable looks good. Fable's cool. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, and that was E3 uh, the Federal Trade Commission here in the United States has sought a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction uh, seeking to block Microsoft's acquisition of uh, Activision Blizzard that's according to CNBC who has a source um and Video Games Chronicles has broken that down as well. And so, yes, the, the complaint is, has been filed uh, as of yesterday, as of last night, it looks like, um, seeking a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction because the, the close date on that acquisition is July. And so the, you know, the, the U.S. has been like, eh, we don't really think this is going to happen. We, you know, we, we don't, we, we. We have, or I guess they're saying we have some questions about this, and and this is them saying, okay, now formally, we have questions for this. Let's do it. And so this was an expected move. This was something they were going to have to do, and and it was something that they were kind of telegraphing for some time that they were going to put up a challenge to this. Um, it's not a full on blocking. It's a let's have the conversation and see where this is at. We don't think this is a good thing, and so this is now the U.S. going like, all right, what are you going? What else are you going to give up? You know, is it going to be this cloud business stuff? Like what else, you know, 
what else are we going to do uh, regulatory from a regulation standpoint to make sure that this deal makes sense? Um, and so this is something that I think Microsoft has been expecting to happen for a long time. It's it's this is not a huge surprise given what the FTC, what the U.S. has been saying about this acquisition for a while. Um, you know, this injunction seems like totally normal, and so um. We'll see where this goes. I don't know. The UK situation seems dicier than this one because of the appeals process and the way that all goes. But it does, you know, like the the, the situation in the UK is they're like, hey, uh, like one of the things that's been floated, uh, not necessarily is on the table in a in a major way, but one of the ideas floated is like, well, what if we pulled out of the UK and just didn't sell our games there directly? They could still sell their games there through another distributor. They could do a distribution deal with fucking Embracer, I'm sure, would love to distribute Microsoft's games uh, and, and Activision's games. And Well, I don't know if it'd have to be both or if it was just Activision's or whatever, but like, um, you know, you sign up someone to uh, distribute your games in the UK and then you just pull your business out of the UK and just be like, all right, well, fuck off. We have no official presence in your territory right now. We just have a distributor that puts our games out there. Deal with it. Uh, that's some fucking scorched earth fucking last resort type shit. No one wants to do that. Uh, but at least that stuff has been. That stuff has entered the conversation. I think as the UK stuff has been um, been kind of swirling around more and more. Um, the US stuff, we'll see. Again, I, I think that this is something that, that was widely expected to have happened <clears throat> and maybe would have happened sooner. But um, but yeah, we'll see where all of that gets to. Um, that'll wind its way through the courts. And I, I, I still feel like the deal is going to happen. I don't know. That, that UK stuff is a fucking is a fucking mess. Uh, but it still feels like there's a pathway through it. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I, that's we're we're reaching the limits of of my knowledge of that stuff. Uh, or we, we reached the limits quite a while ago, I suppose. Um. Call of Duty is in the news. I hope everyone's having a happy Pride Month. Um. So Call of Duty rolled out some skins for some streamers. Um, Nick Merckx and uh, Tatman? No, Tim the Tatman. Tim the Tatman. According to Video Games Chronicle, his full name is Timothy John Beta. Which is funny. Um... So, fuck, man. All right. So they were selling these skins for these guys. And when that stuff first hit, I was looking at it and going like, I, this seems, this seems like something that is like, it's inevitable for them to put streamers into the game. Um, but is this like a end of the world? Is this like an end times? Like something about this makes me feel real rotten inside, but also maybe this is something that was always 
was always going to happen um that they were eventually going to start putting these guys into the games directly um didn't last long this nick Merckx guy who was a co-owner of the phase clan uh phase clan's been uh the phase uh the, the everyone's favorite penny stock over at phase those guys have been doing real good uh those have been real nice uh blowing up their own user like having people join and uh, hmm. there's a whole separate situation where a woman was joining up and then other members of phase clan were like you're just getting her because she's a girl like the dumbest most insane shit you're just like what the fuck is wrong with these people and so the idea that like oh here's another phase guy out here um saying some homophobic shit on twitter uh and then activision going like oh we're what the fuck we're not we don't want to turns out we don't want to be in business with this fucking guy so they pulled the skin out of the game for nick Merckx. um Which then led to, you know, the, the people that like this guy going, he didn't even say anything wrong, which is the most like bad faith argument fucking like if you firmly believe that you're just dumb. Um, What did he even say that was wrong? Yeah, okay. Get fucked. Uh, and so that happened. When did that happen? That was a little while ago. Um. That was what is that? That was early last week, so a week ago and change maybe. Um, yeah, June seventh is when is when that uh when he tweeted some shit, coming off like a real fucking dumbass, and then the skin got pulled out of the game. Now the other guy, this Tim Tatman guy, has requested Activision to remove his skin from the game. In solidarity with his friend. Um, Nick Merckx has been my friend for years. We went in getting our Call of Duty operators together. It feels wrong for me to have mine and him no longer have his. In support of my friend, please remove the Tim the Tatman bundle Call of Duty. And Activision said, uh, yeah, at Tim's request, we've removed the bundle from the store. You'd think that, you know, I, I don't know, man, you, you know, you would think that Activision before getting into business with these fucking dopes would really sit down and look at it and go like, okay, what's our exposure here uh, by going directly into business with these fucking guys? Like. You know, is this something we want to be affiliated with? Is this something we want to, you know? Um, so I, I look at it as like more of a, why would you, um, why would you do this business in the first place? Like, yeah, he's, a, he's one of these fucking no mask jack offs and just, you know, like this Nick Merckx guy seems like a real piece of shit. Um, and so I guess if you're Call of Duty at some point, you got to take what you can get. And you're like, well, I don't know. He's a big voice in our community. 
But also, these guys were like, when the game was coming out, they're like, I don't know if I want to play this game at all. And then they came around and streamed it because now, and now I think they don't. Well, here's a video of me uninstalling the game. Like, get fucked. Fine. I'd be curious to know how many copies of Call of Duty are actually sold. And, and you know, not the, the skins notwithstanding, because if you're a fan of those fucking guys, they go in the game, you might go buy it. Um, but, um, I guess the question is like, I, I wonder how many copies of the game do those people actually move, you know? Cause it feels like their audience would primarily be made up of people who are already playing the game, who already would have bought the game in, in a case like call of duty. It's not to say that like influencers do not influence people to purchase games. I just think in this specific case where you've got these Call of Duty guys playing Call of Duty for Call of Duty people to watch, I think that those people, those viewers would probably buy Call of Duty anyway. Um, and so, yeah. Um, I wonder, I, I don't know. You know, yeah, the, the question came up of like, um, You know, if you bought those skins, can you still use them or do they completely remove them from the game? Uh, yeah, I wonder. Um, so that whole thing went great. In short, that whole thing went great. I, I don't I don't know what else to say about it. Like, you just look at it and just go like, oh yeah, these fucking dirtbag guys were dirtbags and, and maybe Activision should have been smarter before getting into business with these guys that you can kind of look at a long list of things and just go like, oh, yeah, maybe this is not where we want the... Or, hey, maybe Activision's like, this fits right in with our... Yes, of course. We want people in... We want skins in the game that you look at and go, that guy looks like someone who might steal breast milk out of a refrigerator. You know, upholding the Activision corporate values. I don't know. Um, PlayStation is skipping Gamescom, according to... A German publication called Games Market, as noticed by VideoGamesChronicle.com. Uh, the folks over at VGC have uh, have put this together. And yeah, it looks like... Those are the reports. There's, it doesn't look like that's fully confirmed, but it says that the, the PlayStation firm has reportedly told German industry publication Games Market that it has no plans to exhibit at Gamescom this summer. That's a late August event. Um, and so perhaps... Sony, you know, Sony kind of picked its, some of its different targets uh, where they went after Paris Games Week and some other things like that. So, you know, maybe they have something there. But, you know, I think it just further goes to show that, like, the cadence and the the tone, the tone and tenor of all of these events is is up for debate and, and who's going to go where and who's going to show what. None of it feels like a guarantee anymore. And so all all companies, even the big ones, are at least, like, reassessing how they spend their marketing budget, where they spend their marketing budget, when they spend it, all of that. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, Gamescom, I think did Nintendo also say that they were skipping Gamescom? I want to say that was the case. So we'll have to see, you know, maybe it's just a lot of, what's the Gamescom opening show? It's just like, here's a bunch of farming simulators and soccer sims and, and, uh, and such. Um, Overnight, Embracer announced that they are restructuring the company. Uh, there was an open letter from the Embracer group posted. They also had an investor Q&A 
or an investor, uh, you know, some details uh, as well as a, a Q&A that went as part of that. Um, this is an open letter from Lars Wingerfors, the group CEO of Embracer Group. It's a long message. I'm not going to read the whole thing. This morning, we announced a restructuring program across the Embracer Group that will make us a leaner, stronger, and more focused, self-sufficient company. I want to share some background and context to this decision and what it means for us going forward. During the past years, Embracer invested significantly both in acquisitions and into a strategy of accelerated organic growth. We have acquired some of the world's leading entertainment IP, and we have invested into one of the largest pipelines of games across the industry the program presented today will transform us from our current heavy investment mode into a highly cash flow generative business this year. It will enable us to meet the worsening economy and market reality as a strong company, and it will fundamentally change our prioritization of growth with raised capital toward optimization and growth based on our own cash flows. This program will lower our net debt, debt significantly. After completion of this program, we will generate growth and profitability with less business risk and higher margins in the PC console segment over the coming years. Blah, 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 blah. This program is uh, divided into different phases until March 2024. Um, The initial phase, which is initiated immediately, mainly targets cost savings across the group. The next phase, which also starts immediately, will require further analysis to determine specific actions. It's a mystery phase. The last phase will focus on internal consolidation, further resource utilization, and more synergies across the group. The actions for each affected company will be implemented by the new interim COO and CSO. They took two people, like the the guy that was running Embracer, or I'm sorry, the guy that was running Saber Interactive is now the COO of the entire group. And the, the Q&A is weird because that dude is just up there going like, yeah, no, you know, Saber was was kind of like a mini Embracer within Embracer. And we went through this whole process and laid off a bunch of people. And yeah, we came out the other end doing great. So yeah, we'll come out of this. You know, it's like a really, for a thing where they're announcing like, hey, we're about to lay off a fuckload of people over the next nine months or whatever it is. Like his attitude sucked. <laughs> it's just like, man, you seem like a fucking dick. Um, or like, a Hey, get your tone in check here with the thing you're announcing. Like, buddy, I get it. Your job is to come in and, and, and you know, find redundancies or whatever. You just don't have to be so psyched about it. Um, it is painful to see talented team members leave. Our people are what make us the, the very fabric of embracer. I understand and respect that many of you will be worried about your own position and I don't have all the answers to all questions. I want to be clear that the decisions about this program were not taken lightly. Uh, the reality is the quicker we act, the sooner we measure a stronger company. I'm just kind of like skimming through it here. Um, our new executive management team members, Matthew Karch and Phil Rogers will work to implement. And, and Matthew Karch is the saber guy. Phil, Phil Rogers, I think has a past at square. Uh, I don't know. Phil's bona fides or whatever. We'll work to implement a revised thorough review process for investments in our ongoing and potential new game development projects. They will also take the lead on further consolidation of operations, including review of the operative group structure. So this is... This is fucking dumb. Um, Yeah, they're not losing 17,000 jobs. They have 17,000 jobs. They will cut some. Uh, It is too early to give an exact forecast on the numbers. 
Embracer always so you know from the outside looking in. Um, Embracer has looked like a ticking time bomb. Embracer has looked like a structure where. So, you know, Embracer's been taking Saudi money and going around and buying up all of these this IP and buying up, you know, they 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 got big investments and they went and they spent it all buying a bunch of shit. And they bought Gearbox and they bought, you know, they bought the Lord of the Rings, and, you know, like all of this stuff is now uh part of Embracer Group. Saints Row, whatever. Um they bought a PR firm they bought, they bought a lot of stuff. They tried to build a game library for some reason. I wonder what the fate of that ends up being. Um, but every step of the way, you would hear about Embracer buying these companies and then nothing changing. They're like, oh, yeah. Um, all these companies are being allowed to run separately and they all have their own HR PR like like all of this sort of stuff that like when you acquire things you you part of the things you, like these are layoffs that in some disgusting way should have happened a long time ago because if you're trying to run an efficient business then you look for those redundancies and efficiencies and whatever else and you you know you you make those cuts um and so a lot of people from the outside looking in and some people from the inside, I think even, you know, have looked at Embracer and said, it's insane they're, that they're doing this, the way they're going about all of these acquisitions and letting everything run separately is bad business. Like it is just not how you would run a business. This is like fucking crazy that they're not making cuts, that they're not doing these sorts of things, that they are just running this big mess with like 20 different ways of making games across 20 different companies or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so I think everyone looking in was just like, yeah, eventually they're going to have to do something because you know, they bought a PR firm and they still have individual PR people at all the different companies too. Like, I, I don't like, why did you do this? Um, and so none of this is massively surprising especially in the wake of the the news recently that they had some $2 billion deal on the table that, that vanished, right? Where you're like, oh, okay. So it felt like between that saints row, not selling, you know, just like whatever, they, you know, they, they've had a, they've had some mid tier games coming out, right? Uh, dead Island is one of theirs, right? So that, that's been, that's been doing pretty good as I understand it. Um, but like you look at the fortunes of the games coming out under the Embracer banner, the games that they have shipped uh, once they've become part of Embracer and how those have not been, you know, you look at something like a Saints Row. Um, and then you take a look at, you know, just industry people that are like, you know, having a lot of conversations with people where Embracer comes up and people just go like, pfft. Yeah, fuck, man. I don't know. Like, I don't know what they're doing over there. It's nuts. You look at this and and it feels like they woke up one morning and said, what are we doing over here? This is nuts. And that now they're going to. Um, 
make these cuts across the board and try to figure out like, you know, and, and the, the Q and a, if you go watch the video, Matthew Karch says exactly this because he was running saber and saber has a lot of different moving parts where they went through and, and went through a similar process of like, Oh, okay. There's are more efficient ways for us to do this. That will be less expensive. And turns out we don't need as many people in these positions as possible. It's brutal. No one wants to fucking, you know, well, I don't know. He seemed psyched in a disgust in a weird way. His, his attitude felt, felt bad, whatever. You know, some people are not good at talking in front of a camera. Um, so I'm not, I'm not out here saying like he's psyched and feels good, but it, it didn't come off. He did not come off super sympathetic to the potentially thousands of people that will be losing their jobs over the next year. Um, really nasty. Just, just came off fucking gross. Um, but also, you know, he, he kind of went over like, oh yeah, you know, we, we had to do this at Saber to kind of get everything aligned and, and, you know, like it's the benefits of scale, you know, the benefits of scale are like, oh, we don't need HR people in every little pocket of the company. We can have a central group that does this for all of the studios as part of the embracer group, the, the central, you know, you can have more central teams and you can, you know, you probably don't need accountants working down there at the studio level. You could probably have a central team that does all of that stuff at a higher level, you know, outsourcing managers or something, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where those, where those redundancies end up or, or something, but, um, But this is something that like felt very, it was very weird the way Embracer had been running all this operation for a long time. It felt very like, I don't, I don't know why, I don't know why they're doing this this way, but it sure seems wrong. And it sure seems like eventually fucking they're going to have to lay off a zillion people. And now here we are where they are announcing that they are going to lay off a zillion people. Well, I don't, I guess they don't have the exact number. Could be half a zillion. Um, and yeah, you know, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of things happened to the Embracer group that you're just like, yeah, no, it makes sense that, you know, that $2 billion deal goes away. Uh, yeah, you've got to figure out and make some cuts or whatever else. It seems like they're trying to say that, you know, um, announced games are not necessarily on the chopping block here that they're primarily focused on unannounced projects and so on and so forth. So I think most games that you've heard of are probably, and they, they, he mentions a bunch of games here in the letter. I'm proud of what we built over the past years. We should acknowledge that we're heading into a solid year with many amazing releases, such as remnant Two, warhammer 40 K space Marine two payday three hot wheels unleashed Two turbocharged Arizona Sunshine 2, Alone in the Dark, Homeworld 3, and many, many others. Our financial year started with one of our greatest successes so far, Dead Island 2, which exceeded our management's already high expectations. Um, so they're like, hey, we're doing great. We got a bunch of great games in the works. Anyway, a bunch of people got to lose their job. Um, but again, I, I don't know how you prevent this, honestly. Like, I, I think there there would have been a different way for them to go about doing it. But again, I guess the, the thing I would say is that anyone who has been staring at the Embracer group for any length of time, and I think anyone that, and again, conversations I've had with people that work in games that have been like, yeah, over at Embracer, like, uh, yeah, my buddy's company got bought by Embracer and they're still just doing it this way and it's the most inefficient this and that. Like, the way that Embracer 
was running all of those studios after they acquired them seemed fucking bonkers. We're just like, why are you like in in, in a in a disgusting way? You know, like, but like, you know, why are you not laying people off sooner? Which is bad, right? But when you make these acquisitions, those are the things you do. You go through and you go, okay, well, you we want the 40 people that are doing this. We want the 30 people here that are doing this. We don't need them because we already have 30 people over here that do it. And we think they can take on the work of doing it for both. And, you know, you're like you're you're finding ways to spend less money to make the same amount of stuff, if not more. Right. That's acquisitions. That's fucking capitalism. That's just how this shit works all the way down. So it was weird, but not in a good way. It wasn't like a feel good, like, yay, they're letting everyone run the way they've always run and or, or whatever. It was more like a, this feels bad. This feels like eventually this is going to fucking blow up bad. And here we are. Um, that's yes. Uh, Gogolak in the chat says, I'm going to say this. I don't think Lord of the Rings is a money guarantee that Embracer thinks it is. I agree. I think that the Lord of the Rings IP. Um, I don't think you can exploit it quite the same way that say Warhammer was done because I think Warhammer has enough different pockets to it that, you know, well, not the Lord of the Rings doesn't, but like the. Lord of the Rings license is a mess. I think the quality of the Lord of the Rings games has been uh, varied, let's say. That Gollum game, do they own, they don't own Daedalic, right? That's not a, that was not a, I, I, I don't know if Daedalic is part of the Embracer group or not. They may very well be. Who knows? Um, I think Lord of the Rings was a fantastic movie series uh, that people like or whatever uh, that did a, made a lot of money. And I don't know that that is necessarily translated out into a lot of other properties that have been as successful for that. And remember, you know, Warhammer ate shit for a very long time before suddenly, I don't know, it feels like there are more good than bad uh, Warhammer games these days. Like, you had to sit through a lot of fucking awful goddamn Warhammer games before they figured it out. Um, Still more bad than good? Okay, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't know. I don't know. Warhammer. They spell orcs with a K. You can't fucking trust them. Um... So yeah, I, I don't I don't think Lord of the Rings is some money printing factory when it comes to them owning the IP. Uh, I think that there are ways to exploit that successfully, but I don't think it's you know like yeah, what was the um like Amazon did that Lord of the Rings thing right? And people, didn't people fucking hate that? And people absolutely hate that goddamn thing. Uh, so yeah, I I don't know. It's the I again I I think the way that they are um the way they came off in that investor call was kind of yucky. It's a technical term. Real yucko. Real, real, yeah. Real heckin' bad vibes off those doggos. Um, but also, again, I, I think the, the it's hard to be surprised by this because I, I think that Embracer has looked like a fucking ticking time bomb for a really long time. So... 
that doesn't make it feel any better. I think that, you know, a lot of people losing their fucking, I think it's fucking sucks. Um, but also I, you know, it's, you kind of look at it and go like, yeah, I, I see why. I, I, I see why this would be happening because it's been the way they've been running their company has been very weird for a long time. So, um, so, th- so there you, there you have it, I guess, huh? Um, that's the news. That's all I got. Uh, maybe we can take like one email real quick here before we go. Chuck writes in and says, my prediction, if Starfield launches in the state that Skyrim did, it will win all the awards. If it launches like Fallout 4 did, it will merely be a top five seller for the year. Okay. I Yeah, I mean. Um, I mean, that'll be the showdown, right? That's going to be our end of the year showdown at some point. Um, probably. You know, we'll see if Alan Wake muscles its way into that conversation or whatever, but like it really does come down to Zelda or Starfield, right? Like um, I'm trying to think what else is coming out before the end of the year that we would put into that conversation. Final Fantasy 16? N- no. I understand that people really like the demo. I like all of that sort of stuff. I, I, if you're asking me, does Final Fantasy 16 have a chance of being voted game of the year by a wide variety of publications? I think the answer is absolutely not. I don't think Diablo 4 comes anywhere close to that conversation. I don't think Street Fighter 6 comes anywhere close to that conversation, which is a shame. Yeah, maybe Lies of P comes out and is fucking... I mean, that demo's out, right? I need to check that out. But, um... And, you know, I I'm, I don't want to sit here and pass judgment on games that are not out for a while yet, but, like, yeah, Jedi Survivor is not going to break through that conversation. Like, I think that the way that Tears of the Kingdom is already being discussed and the way that, it like, people did... And, and some of that's tapering off, right? As, as more and more people finish the game... Is there any chance for Spider-Man? I don't think so. Spider-Man is is a game I I am I am very much looking forward to playing Spider-Man 2. I don't think it is a game that will fare well in again the highly specific skew of um voting publications that are voting on game of the year in a cross-publication capacity and so on and so forth. I think when we get around to the Dice Awards next year, I think Zelda takes it in a walk. I don't care how good Starfield is. I don't think it has a fucking shot. I think that if you ask game developers to vote, I think they will choose Zelda. I think the systems in that game, I think the the impressive physics and the way all that stuff fits together is like a lot of game developers are like, I can't believe they fucking pulled this off. This game is like magic weird. Like I, it shouldn't work, right? Um, 
and so i think i i suspect zelda wins the dice awards no fucking problem i could see it taking awards at gdc um i think when we get to the publications and the voting for the game awards at the end of the year i think that is the best shot a starfield would have but i think i i really think that zelda will walk away with it across the board um just because of again the tenor of the conversation around Zelda, the way people have, have talked about it, I, I think that um that's gonna be very hard to ignore when we get to the end of the year. And I think that publications will probably end up voting in that direction. Um I think that's just the reality of it. You know, like I, I'm not saying that in a necessarily a good way or a bad way. Like Starfield may end up being more deserving in a lot of ways. I, that doesn't, I still think that Zelda will pull it out, um, for, you know, a variety of reasons. Right. Um, and yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see, but yeah, I, I think, I think Starfield could come in. If Starfield comes in extremely smooth, and launches strong and like it they'll they'll get theirs for sure you know they'll win technical awards for graphics they'll win awards around the edges and stuff like that but if we're just talking game of the year um for as much as i would put well i don't know you know I, i'm i'm you know i don't know i don't know what i would put ahead of starfield per se but you know you have to make a lot of assumptions about a starfield for that but you know i uh, I think Street Fighter 6 is the best thing I've played so far this year by a long shot, you know. That's um that's my favorite thing that I've I've played so far as far as I can tell. Um but I've also got some games coming out later this year that I'm extremely excited to see more of, you know, like Alan Wake 2 and and like Mortal Kombat 1. Um but Street Fighter 6 is an incredible video game. The 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 way they pulled it off the way they the way they made that game happen the 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 different modes the variety in that game the 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 love the heart that that game has for capcom as a company as well as street fighter as a brand as well as final fight like it's this this game the street fighter 6 is a crazy fucking love letter to the final fight franchise the original street fighter 2 it's fucking crazy and it's so good. Um, it's incredible. It's incredible. But it's a fighting game. And I think when we get to like widespread voting of staffs of publications, or, you know, if, if people have staffs left by the end of this year, that's the over under, you know, who's going to be left to vote on uh, awards at the end of the year and, and, and who else in the, you know, websites about video games market is going to find themselves on the outs before the year is out. I don't know. I don't, I don't think we're done there yet. Um, but yeah, I, I, Street Fighter Six is is incredible. Um, but I think you know, I think a game like Zelda has more more widespread appeal. It's an easier game for more people to vote for. Um, because I think there are still you know there there's there are just genres out there that I think will never truly win a Game of the Year award across multiple publications. Right, driving games, fighting games. Uh, it's just incredibly uphill battle in a lot of those cases, you know. Um, 
And I think a, a Final Fantasy game uh, will end up, I think just by virtue of the words Final Fantasy on the box, will there will be a, some segment of people who are just like, well, I don't like those. Even though this one is a weird fucking action game? I don't know. I need to play it. I want to play it. Um, I don't, it's, I, I, I want to see what that thing is. I almost, it's, it seems really strange to me that they're like, Hey, what if we took final fantasy and turned it into like devil may cry? It seems like a fucking, almost like a bad idea. Cause I think about like, I don't know, like my wife and, you know, she's really loved Final Fantasy games in the past, but she's not, you know, she's not going to play an action game right now. She wouldn't have interest in a Final Fantasy Origins Stranger of, you know, like she's, she's, she wants a console style role playing game. And I think that there's a lot of Final Fantasy audience that would probably want a role playing game. And so for them to say, Nah, fuck it. It's combat focused. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's this whole other action thing. And it's a numbered Final Fantasy game. It's not some offshoot. It's weird. It's weird. Um, I don't know. She'll play Final Fantasy 10 again and, and she'll, she'll have a great time someday, someday, someday she'll have time. Um, when these kids are in all in high school, there will be time to play Final Fantasy X again. Um, and so I want to see that thing, but it just sounds crazy to me. Like the, the and it's hard for me to believe because you know I haven't really seen much of it in person. But like when hearing the trailers and people playing the demo and everything, it's like yeah, it's kind of like this Game of Thrones influenced fucking Devil May Cry game. You're like, why? Okay, cool, but. Bleh. All right, is that what people want out of Final Fantasy in this day and age? Maybe it is. You know, hey, they're, they're good changing it up. It's just, it's such a, like, you could do that and call it something else. You could say, here's Final Fantasy, the buttfucker's demise. Is that, the, is that an appropriate subtitle for, I don't know anything about the story. Um, and it could be an action game. It could be this, it could be that, it could be whatever. Exivus, flight, anal action, two, six hours, all action, you know, whatever whatever they want to throw on it subtitle wise. Um, so I don't know. Uh, that's just a weird, bold move on their part. We'll see how it plays out for them. But, uh, I don't know when I think about people who like final fantasy games, uh, the idea of making, um, a character action game seems limiting to the, the classic appeal of a Final Fantasy game to me. But that's me. We'll see. Uh, maybe there's like one more. Jeez. Uh... Grant writes in and says, if Starfield fails, does Phil Spencer get replaced? I don't I, um, no, probably not. I, I don't know that that's something that you could really lay at his feet, a game that was in development for a good long time before Bethesda was part of... No, I, I don't necessarily... 
Like, would it be the leadership on the game? Would it be Bethesda leadership that takes the, the fall on that? You know, do you take a Todd Howard and say like, hey man, you've had a good run. Um, or, or something like that. I, I don't know. And what does failure look like uh, in, a, in, a, in a game pass day and age? I think the number of people that would try that game, regardless, I think it's already guaranteed to be at least mildly successful. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, let's see. Um, I have any more here. Let's go back to the. Uh, Ansh from Toronto writes in and says, do you think the industry loses out broadly if publishers refuse to come out and make their presentations and mingle at events? This goes to your point about being able to get out physically during not E3 and the conversations you were able to have as a result. It strikes me that the more selfish publishers are with their choices on industry event participation, the more the industry suffers overall from the lack of collaboration and knowledge exchange. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's the kind of, that kind of taps into the case for like why GDC shouldn't be nearly as expensive and why GDC talks going behind a paywall sucks because it should be a more open exchange of information uh, amongst game developers when it comes to something like a GDC. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know that there's always a ton of information exchange in a event like a like an E3 style of event. But, you know, devs get to talking and stuff. I'm sure there were a lot of indie devs in town probably may still be in town um, over the past few days. And so there were, the mix is an event that typically happens, I think, around GDC time. And the mix was going to put on an indie event around the Summer Game Fest on, I believe, Friday night. And I guess the event space didn't have their permits in order or something. And that event got shut down like 15 hours in. So like a bunch of indie devs came to town thinking they were going to be able to show off their game. And then uh, didn't. And so in that case, some of those developers probably had to spend some money to get into town or to get equipment for the demo or, you know, whatever it was. And then that thing just got shut down. So a bunch of them went to a different bar and a bunch of them, you know, like, like people kind of spread out a little bit. They're like, we're over here showing our game. And I don't know how well that did for them. I was not able to attend that event at all. I had to, I was coming home to, uh, hang out with sleeping kids, teething kids. Sleeping is not what that boy does anymore. He decided he's done with sleep forever. And now he's just going to be awake all the time. That said, I did get a, a bottle of fake pills that say uh, El Paso elsewhere on it. So, uh, you know. First Sunshine Shuffle will teach my daughter how to play poker. And now El Paso elsewhere is going to teach her something else very insidious. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, at least I think it's teething. I know he's got some more teeth coming in, but you know, that kid will just, uh, pop up at 9 PM and just be like, ah, I'm awake. I'm like, okay, let's hang out. It'll be cool. It'll be fine. We'll hang out for a few hours. You'll go back to sleep. It'll all be good. Um, anyway, I'm going to get going. Uh, that's a podcast. Thanks everybody for hanging out. 
uh, and listening to the show, watching the show, wherever. Uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman if you want to uh, support this nightmare endeavor as it enters its second year. And we'll uh, get you on the Discord. We'll hang out. We'll have a great time. Uh, you get to... Uh, you know, uh, ad free version of this podcast. You get, uh, you can get uh, your, your hands on game boys to men. I gotta say it was very, uh, gratifying. It was very nice. Um, I talked to a lot of folks at summer games fest, people that have worked in the industry for a long time and people who are newer to it, who have been listening to game boys to men and had a, a ton of very nice things to say to me about it. It was, it was fantastic. It was one of those things where it's like, I don't know how many people this resonates with, but the people it's resonating with are fucking seem to be really enjoying it. And that was very nice uh, to, to talk to some folks that have been uh, to really dig in that show. Uh, Cause we're, we're someone said, you know, Hey, not, not a, not a big audience out there for recaps of uh, CES 95 and what it was like to cover <laughs> video games in the nineties, but it, it seems like the people that are enjoying it are very much enjoying it. If that sounds up your alley, that's a show you can get over on Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman. Um, the industry has spoken. It's a smash hit. <laughs> All right, everybody have a good one. I'll be back in the morning. We'll stream some video games like we used to do back in the, back in the old days. Uh, I, uh, yeah, maybe I'll hook my Xbox up to my capture gear in case we want to play, uh, that version of syndicate or something. I know that's, they're shutting syndicate servers down later this week, so we'll see. I'll, uh, maybe I'll take a poll or something to see if, if, if we should play PC or if we should play Xbox. I don't know. Um, but we'll try to do that tomorrow. Hang in there, everybody. See you soon.